Hey everybody, Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years of Wonder Years podcast. Well, today I am finishing the movie Beethoven's Second, so this is part two of Beethoven's Second. Now the point where I left off is the family's at the dinner table, George has just told the family about a little vacation in a cottage for the 4th of July weekend. And the puppies downstairs are starting to bark because Beethoven just barked. In response to George calling him a chihuahua, a little chihuahua. So Rice is like, I'll run the dishwasher. And of course, they're in the middle of eating, which George is like, um, we're eating. We're supposed to do the dishes after we finish. She's like, oh, right, right, right. So the puppies keep barking downstairs. And George is like, gosh, that sounds so close is that outside or is that in the basement and everyone's like uh it's outside and he's like "Uh, i i I think it's coming from the basement so the george heads down into the basement does not take very long as the the, alice and the kids are like oh crap (laughs) all hard work for nothing he's gonna make us get rid of these puppies It's like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing this again. We already have gotten Beethoven to a point where he's calmed down a little bit in the last year or so. So we're not doing this times four now with four new puppies. These kids, <laughs> they're just waiting for their dad to start screaming when he goes down in the basement. And Alice, you even see her, like, counting down from, like, ten or five. Like, any minute now. Ted's got his head on his arms, like, oh, all that hard work for nothing. Uh, and <laughs> Emily's got her, her fist holding up her hand, like, oh... Of course, when George yells, oh no, <laughs> that's when uh, Alice holds up the basket of rolls like, oh, roll anybody? <laughs> and we hear him go, no, 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 no. And you see each person is holding a puppy. And this dog, then they flash to Beethoven on the floor. They're clearly using a different, thinner St. Bernard that really does not look much like Beethoven other than the coloring and the breed. Honestly, this looks like a anorexic version of Beethoven. It's that skinny. Someone put some meat on that dog's bones. And George is like, this is not one dog. This is a total now of five dogs and not just regular breed dogs. These are St. Bernard's. They are massive. And he gets the Lily kids, I know they're cute now, they have that cuteness appeal, but you know, just like Beethoven, he got older. And I'm not saying he's not cute anymore, but that cute puppy factor went out the window. So he's just worried about, like, the dogs destroying the house. When they go to the cottage, they're gonna rip that place apart. So he's like, hygienically, emotionally, financially, we cannot afford these dogs. They couldn't even get a loan for his business, of course. I mean, I don't know how much it costs to feed one dog, let alone five St. Bernards. Not to mention the inoculations they'll need to have, which do they do that? We don't, we probably don't see that in the montage, but they at some point will get those puppies their vaccinations. 
And he's like, really, do you th these dogs are going to drive me out of my mind just like Beethoven did? Okay, it is getting really warm up here. I'm really thinking about moving this whole setup downstairs now. I usually do when it starts to get warm, but this is... Granted, the windows are op not open right up here, but... And it's only like 60-some degrees, so it's not like it's 70 out, but ugh, I'm just getting really... Oof. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to move this stuff downstairs. All right. I'm ready to go, and I'm a lot more comfortable now that I moved downstairs. And just like in the first movie, the kids are all giving Dad the sad puppy dog look. Like, please, can we keep them? And he's even like, no, 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 don't give me those looks. That worked the last time, but it's not going to work. Even Alice gives him the look. Like, honey, come on. They're Beethoven's children. Don't tear his children away from them. They don't have a mother right now. Don't make these puppies orphans. So, Rice comes in with, you know, the agreeing with them tactic. Trying to see, it, you know, pretend to see it from his side. Like, they would be a lot of trouble, wouldn't they? And he just rolls his eyes like, four puppies, five St. Bernards, five dogs? That would be beyond trouble. So, Rice does an interesting tactic here where she's like, well, was I a lot of trouble when you and mom had me? And George is like, mm -hmm. and Alice just like, honey, no, you weren't. And Rice is bringing up really good points here, this argument. She's like, well, what about when there were three of us? And George and Alice are like, well, yes, that was a lot of trouble. So here's, here's the kicker. Rice says, wouldn't you have had better off having had less trouble if you had just stopped after you had me? And George is like, well, wait a minute. No, you're our children. These are dogs. This is completely different. And Rice is like, well, these are our children. We spent the last month or so feeding these puppies with little eyedroppers so that way they wouldn't die. Six to eight times a day we got up at like 2 and 3 and 4.30 in the morning to feed these puppies so they wouldn't die. They're the next generation of Beethoven, basically. It's like, come on. We basically went through hell for these dogs. And, uh, and you're saying that that's, you know, then I hate responsibility. I mean, come on. And he's just kind of like, George just sits in the chair, exasperated. Like, oh, look. Ugh. I don't want to be responsible for five dogs. And she's like, no, we have been responsible. We've done this. We've gone through hell for these dogs, and you are not going to take them away from us. But she adds kind of a nice softening little blow here. Like, look, we take care of them now. When they are older, when they're old enough to be on their own and with new families, we'll find them new families to go to. Guys, you've seen this movie. They don't find new families for these dogs. They are all still there. All four puppies. Ted is really, through this whole exchange between Rice and George, he's, like, still got the creased eyebrows. Like, he's really like, come on, come on. Sad look, sad look. Dad, come on. Cave in already. You've done it before. Ray says this is a situation the whole family should be able to live with. And George just, like, throws his hands like, like, oh! Ugh. 
It's like he's he knows he's losing this battle, but he's trying really hard to put his foot down like, Look! I said no! Rice is wearing the longest denim button-up shirt and probably the shortest shorts because you cannot see them. She's wearing like a 2XL shirt that's like hanging down. Like, it was the 90s. You know, we all wore big shirts back in the day. That's just what we did. Oh, are your teen magazines? Oh, that's good housekeeping. Oh, I bet that's a... I'm just looking at their coffee table. They got magazines there. So, George just sinks into the chair, like, throws up his hands, like, well, what? I, I, whatever I say, you're gonna fight me against it, so just, I'm, I'm caving, I'm caving in, keep the puppies. They're like, yay! And he's like, please don't bring them over to me. I don't, I can smell them from this chair, please. So the next one scene, of course, is gonna be, they have to officially give these puppies names. Which... Rice comes up with, there's one girl and three boys. She's like, well, this one's like an adorable little girl. Why don't we call her Morgan? And Emily's like, well, she looks more like a dolly. And Rice is like, well, what does a dolly look like? And Emily's like, eh, I like her. They're all giving, well, except for Mo, because she's got this little mohawk dolly. Because... Ted is the one that's like, well, his, their dad's name is Beethoven. Like, yeah, but their mom's name is also Missy, so. But, like, let's continue with these classical musicians. Like, since that one's, since their name's, dad's name is Beethoven, that one's name will be Tchaikovsky. And Beethoven, like, looks up almost like he recognizes the name. And then, uh, Chubby, like, is it Chubby like Chubby Checkers? Or just Chubby because he's a chunky monkey puppy. I'm just gonna play this little clip. When the puppies are part of the family, <laughs> we should give them names. Well, this one's a girl, so how about if we call her Morgan? No, she looks more like a dolly. Well, what does a dolly look like? Like her. Okay. Then I get to name this one. Since his dad's name's Beethoven, then his name should be... Tchaikovsky. <laughs> I like it, but it sounds kind of goofy. It's too long, too. Well, what should we name him? Hmm? He looks like a chubby. Definitely a chubby. You're cool. You're the coolest one in the whole family. I'm going to name you Mo. Mo? Like in Mozart? No, Mo like in Mohawk. Look at his hair. <laughs> Mo. Cool. Hey, Mo, what do you know? Okay, so the dog's names are Tchaikovsky. That, it's cool as that sounds. It's like, yeah, Beethoven's a composer. Tchaikovsky was also a composer. That is a major mouthful. Can you imagine shouting out, Here, Tchaikovsky! Here, Tchaikovsky! That, you're getting, you take a nap in the middle of saying that name. <laughs> Isn't there, could there be like, Kowski or something, something like shorten it a little or something, like a nickname, because that, like, it's huge. That's probably like ten letters. Th uh, two out of the three pets I have, their names have six letters. London and Liesel. And Quinn, of course, her only, she only has five letters in her name, which I think is kind of interesting, I mean, said that she's kind of the odd one out, because Jeremy and I both have six letters in our names. So, yeah. <laughs> so, they drop 
the whole let's name them all after singers, composers. They didn't say anything about Chubby Checker. I'm going to check the book real quick because I kind of wonder if that wasn't in the movie, but it might have been in the book. And I think Dolly is Do- from, like, Dolly Parton, so they're all, like, singers in a way. Even though Mo for Mozart, it's like, no, it's because he's got this little mohawk dealy, which, that just looks weird at the end of the movie. I'm like, oh, it's Mo because he's got this weird, like, fake fur thing that they glued onto the top of his head to m- make him, you know, resemble who he was so you know which dog is which. I mean, Dolly's not hard to spot because she's got bows in her ears or fur or whatever. Okay, in the book, these puppies are actually named before George even George and Alice even know these puppies exist. Like, as soon as they got them home, they showed Rice and Ted and Emily. Like, Alright, let's name them now. Alright, what are we going to call them? asked Ted. Rice picked up the puppy closest to her. This one is a girl. Think of a nice girl's name. It's got to be better than just nice, protested Emily. Her father is Beethoven. He was a musician for, from a long time ago. She needs a musical name. Okay. They all thought for a moment. How about Dolly, Rice said, like Dolly Parton? Emily nodded. That's good. She picked up another puppy. This one's so fat. Oh, there's fat shaming this puppy. He's chubby, like chubby checker, Rice said. Who's that? Oh, good golly. (laughs) Rice frowned. I'm not sure. He was a singer, I think. I heard mom and dad talk about him. Oh, God. He was from when they were kids. That was a long, long time ago, said Emily. Ted was examining another puppy. He looks like one of the three stooges. Let's call him Mo. Okay, they got that one wrong. How would the dog look like a member of the three stooges? It's a puppy. I don't know. And I don't even know which one of the three stooges is Mo. Is he the, the big guy? Wait. Oh my goodness. Because there's a tall th- one and then there's a short dark haired guy. And then a, a tall, balding man. I don't know which one's which. Um, let me go back. Um, his two sisters not in an agreement, and one of them should have a real musical name, right? He said, let's name the little one Tchaikovsky. Who's, who was that? Emily looked at her brother with disgust. Don't you know anything? He was, a band, was in a band with Beethoven like 100 years ago. <coughs> So that conversation took place at a different time in the story and was very different. So Emily names Mo Mo because of his funky mohawk deal that he's got on the top of his head. And the only musician that was named was Tchaikovsky. The other ones were like Dolly. Uh, This one's Chunky Monkey. Let's name him Chubby. I gotta say though, on the cover, this is this on the, the cover in the book. Actually, it's the same cover on the movie, um, the VHS that I had, and the DVD cover. It's a little children's piano, and Tchaikovsky, of course, has got its paw on it. There's a family photo of the Newtons, and George is almost like he knows he's surrounded by Beethoven's family. Like, Ugh. we got Chubby in between the legs of the piano. Dolly's got cute little turquoise bows in her hair, and then poor Mo is off to the side looking dejected. Almost like he feels like he's on the outs, like, oh. Even though he's in the picture, he's like, eh, nothing special about me but my mohawk. Which, it doesn't even look like he's got a mohawk. 
And you can tell Chubby's chubby because he's heavier than his other siblings. But Tchaikovsky, this dog's got brown, it's got reddish gold fur, it's got black fur covering around its eyes. It just, yeah. The puppy in the movie looks nothing like this dog on the cover. So now we get a montage. And the puppy's going down the stairs. Oh, and little Dolly has little uh, purplish pink colored fuchsia, maybe? Colored bows in her hair ears. How do they do that? Like, put the do they, like, tie it, like, and make a bow, like, just at the base of where her ear comes out? I don't know. Or maybe it's, like, little, like, clip-ons? I don't know. How do they do that without hurting the dog? And without her, like, trying to get those bows out her her ears. So it looks like Dolly is, the other ones look like they are long-haired like Beethoven, but Dolly does look like she is a short-haired St. Bernard. And of course, we get this cute montage. There's a Fisher Price, no kidding, Fisher Price washer dryer <laughs> on the, um, the porch there. And it's got like a blue ironing board <laughs> connected. Emily's like eight or nine years old. Why would she be pl- even wanting to play with that still? But the puppies come out of the screen door, not ripping through it. No, they're just squeezing through it. And they got clothes on. And the kids are like, where did they get those clothes? Is Dolly wearing a bikini? Who put her in a bikini? Or is that a tube top? I can't tell. Yeah, like those puppies went into the laundry room and put those clothes on by themselves. Sure. They act so Ted and Rice are like, oh no, they're wearing clothes. Let's take them off of them. You guys put the clothes on the dogs, okay? They didn't do it themselves. They can't do that themselves. Oh, they got a, um... A play set in the back. A nice wooden play set that's got a nice metal slide that Dolly's going down. Aww. Did they move? Honestly, this does not even look like the same house. It does not look like the same set. does not look like the same backyard. George has set up this kennel that's got all the puppies. All four of the puppies in there. They might share it with Beethoven. I don't know. I think it's just the angle. Because the house is closer to the kennel than it was in the first movie or maybe because it's being shot from it's being shot from inside the kennel itself so we see George repeatedly putting two puppies there's two puppies already in there and he's bringing two puppies back but as soon as he puts two puppies in the other ones crowd around to jump out right between his legs and get back into the yard we got a puppy drinking out of the toilet put the toilet seat down Close the door. That's You want a dog to not drink out of the toilet? You want a dog to not have to go into your bathroom? How about this? Shut the door. That's what you do. You don't want your dog in a certain room? Yes, shut the door. Unless they learn how to open doorknobs, which I don't know. Dogs are pretty smart. They might be able to. But that's that's your best bet. I mean, there's a spot in the book, I remember from reading it originally, that one of the puppies, it's not in the montage, it's not in the movie, but one of the puppies gets, falls in the toilet somehow? And you also get to hear, like, some perspective from the puppy's point of view? Alright, here we go. The puppies were curious about everything and had practically no fear about anything. They had the run of the house and, of course... 
of course, and they went snooping everywhere. They were particularly fascinated by the bathroom. One day, Dolly and Mo ventured to the upstairs bathroom. While Mo watched, Dolly clambered up onto the toilet seat and bent over trying to reach the water in the bowl. But her little claws couldn't hold on the slippery smooth surface of the tile, and suddenly she tumbled into the water with a big splash. Mo had never seen anyone fall in water before, and it scared him. He started barking as loud as he could, hoping that someone would quick, would come quick and rescue his sister. A second later, George Newton dashed into the bathroom, and without thinking about it, he thrust his arm deep into the toilet water to recover their struggling and scared little pup. Dolly and Mo were delighted, but Mr. Newton had wet his shirt sleeve all the way up to his shoulder. How deep is this toilet bowl? I mean, I'm looking at this puppy on the screen now that's going to, like, dive headfirst to drink into the toilet bowl, but I don't think it's, that looks too big to even fit into the toilet bowl itself. But that, I, I don't know. Okay, so blah, 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 blah. That, that's about it. But interesting. Of course, one of these boy dogs is going to have a metal studded collar. One puppy does not even have a collar on at this point, as he's getting underneath a car as George is running with the collar and leash, like, come here puppy, come here puppy, and the puppy is underneath the vehicle, George puts his head underneath it as a, one of those trucks comes by. It's a street sweeper, and it's spraying, like, water all over George's face. The puppy, of course, gets out of, like, okay, I know what's coming. I'm just going under the car and out from under it. And then he's on the curb as George is just all soaking wet, looking at this puppy like, oh, my goodness, I'm regretting having you here. So this has got to be Mo, because he's got the little, uh, little pompadour dealy on top of his head. And George is like, ugh. And this puppy's like, what? <laughs> I didn't ask you to go out there and retrieve me. I could have gotten... I got out, of, out from underneath that car, so I don't know what your deal is. Of course, we get a repeat of the dog puppy peeing in the briefcase. This briefcase, of course, is not on the floor. It's actually on a... Almost like a hope chest or something. Like a chest that's at the foot of a bed. And of course, it's open. Dolly was able to scramble up there and pee all over George's important information. George, of course, pats the stuff down and is like, okay, everything's good. Shuts it, lifts it up, starts to walk away. You see pee, like, f dribbling out the bottom of it. He didn't feel that pee-soaked paper when he patted it down. Like, oh, everything's set. <laughs> How much pee did that dog put in that briefcase? Looks like she peed a day's worth. <laughs> Of course, we got the muddy footprints, and they're all dirty and muddy, and they're in the laundry. Ugh. Now the puppies are in the bathtub. They're getting washed. Are they using dish soap to wash those puppies? I remember, I probably, when I had my one dog, um, I think I used, like, Paul Mall of dish soap. I did not use dog shampoo. We, we just didn't do that back in the day. I wouldn't recommend you you probably do need to use a type of dog shampoo can I I can only imagine the chemicals in dish soap that would be harmful to a dog's skin 
these puppies want out of that bathtub. And uh, Emily and Ted are, like, having to push them back. Ted, at one point, has to take his glasses off. It's like, you might not want to be wearing your glasses while you're giving the puppies a bath. They're going to get wet. I mean, you really need them while you're bathing the puppies. We see Emily putting some gel or something into Moe's hair to make his little uh, make a little mohawk very cute george is putting on socks of course they've been ripped at the top of them so his feet his toes are sticking out i can't believe george is attempting to walk beethoven who's absolutely fine and he's walking the four puppies children children you said you're gonna take care of these puppies you should be walking them there are three children each of them could take a puppy and Alice. See, all five of them could be walking a dog, right? They could all go on a walk as a family together. Instead, George feels that he's got to walk the four puppies and Beethoven at the same time. Okay. Well, George is taking Beethoven and the puppies walking. We get a second sighting of the dog. Oh, what is his name? Spot? The one that was on a date at the in the beginning of the movie when Beethoven was like looking at all these couples. <sighs> is it is the dog's name Spot? Spike? I can't remember. But anyway, it's so cute. George is taking a nap. <laughs> one of the puppies is nestled on his head. It's so cute. Oh, the infamous uh, skateboard scene. Yes. All right. Before I get into the skateboard scene, I do actually want to. I found on Wikipedia there is a site about um, some of the scenes in this movie, whether they use you know fake stuffed dogs or mechanical dogs. So I'm gonna bring that up. All right, we got some production notes here. Production required more than a hundred smooth and rough coated. So I'm guessing smooth being because there's short haired. St. Bernard puppies and long-haired ones. So rough-coated probably means the short-haired ones. And then I'm guessing the smooth has got to be the long-haired ones. So um, St. Bernard puppies of various ages, starting at seven weeks, who were then returned to the breeders. Missy was played by three adult short-haired dogs, and Beethoven was played by two long-haired ones. Although... Only the dog who credited the role in the first film is credited. Or who created the role in the first film is credited. A mechanical dog, a dog's head for specific facial expressions, and a man in a dog's suit were also used. Interesting. See, at the balcony scene when he was trying to get Missy, you know, to go hang out with him for the day, I'm like, up close shot, that did look like a mechanical dog. It really, really did. For the scene of Beethoven and Missy meeting, alright, for this scene, the dogs responded to their trainer's command, nuzzle, which Beethoven did easily. The dog playing Missy was a bit reluctant and required some food placed in Beethoven's collar as an extra incentive for her to nuzzle. For, so, for the scene where Regina takes Missy away and Beethoven's running through the street following after the car, for this scene, no public vehicles were permitted in the area and all moving traffic was controlled for the safety of the dog. Well, of course. Whenever I see a scene, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did they... There's no traffic on the road. Like, well, of course, because if they're filming, they don't want something to happen to the dog. 
To achieve the scene of Beethoven rescuing Missy from the balcony, let's see, to achieve the scene, a ramp was built on the outside of the balcony from which Beethoven could jump onto the balcony. The balcony was built up from the inside so that the two dogs jumped from the raised floor onto the ramp as they left the balcony. The dogs responded to their trainer's vocal commands to do these jumps, and they were given food as a reward. Let's see. For this scene, when Beethoven goes to the movies, they have popcorn. They did some additional nuzzling, which was handled the same manner as before on another date. Beethoven and Missy ride in a carriage, which is driven by a man on a bicycle. The dogs eat hot dogs and stroll. Okay. Let's see. When she has the puppies, there's no birthing scene. Just four very young puppies with Missy and Beethoven in the basement storage room of Regina's apartment. The puppies in these scenes were not newborns, but four weeks old. Although the pup's mother was nearby at all times, they'd been weaned and were no longer nursing. The pups were fed goat's milk at proper intervals. Of course, when Ted and Emily rescued the pups by carrying them out in a box, the actors were actually holding an empty box with no puppies inside. Of course, they they would not be carrying that box with four puppies in it. There's a skateboard scene. There are a series of shots of the puppies doing a variety of things at the Newton home. One pup gets on a skateboard, which is in the driveway, glides down the driveway on the skateboard, which stops abruptly when it hits the side of a dump truck. The puppy is propelled over the truck, flying through the air, lands safely in a container of grass clippings. To train for the stunt, many puppies were were tried, and the one with the best balance was selected. Food was put on the board to get the puppy to climb onto it. He first learned to stand on it and then to stay as the skateboard was slowly moved. The puppy was trained with voice commands with baby food as a reward. Stop. What are you doing? Oh my goodness. This cat, I swear. Now that I moved downstairs, she uh, wants to mess with stuff and make noise. The scene was filmed in cuts with a real and fake puppy. The real puppy stood on the board as it coasted down the driveway. The skateboard was controlled by use of monofilament of a monofilament, which pulled the skateboard at a slow speed. When the skateboard hits the side of the truck, it's a mechanical puppy on the skateboard. When the dog flies into the air, it is a fake dog that is flying. You can definitely tell it's a fake dog. Hi, Quinn. It's 4.39. You still got like 20 minutes before your din-din, okay? The puppy gets on the skateboard. You get the shot, the viewpoint from the puppy. Hey, Quinn. Um, George is like waxing or washing his car in the driveway and he sees the puppy. Like, no, 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 no. Because the skateboard is already going. I mean, you can be faster than a skateboard, but the skateboard, as it heads down the driveway, is picking up speed. Head straight for that dumpster and that guy that is throwing trash in the dumpster. So the guy just throws down the garbage can. What a jerk of a garbage man. Why would you just set it upright somewhere? But then, of course, skateboard hits it. Dog goes flying. This dog, of course, is a fake dog flying through the air. Anybody who's anybody could tell that. The puppy lands in what looks like a Rubbermaid garbage 
can that you would put, but this is just filled with grass clippings. So what, he flew across into the neighbor's yard? George just rolls his eyes like, oh, these puppies are too much for me. As we see the puppy, like, trying to climb. Oh, I see gardeners over there across the street. Okay, they're like, what in the what? <laughs> we get a scene. They're g- the Newtons are ready. They're going on the trip. They're heading to Mickey D's. Of course, you gotta get yourself loaded up on some food. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing how I don't think there's any, there might be McDonald's around that still have that red roof kind of look to it. Yes, move, 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 move. Oh my goodness. If I feed you now, Quinn, will you uh, not hang out up here for now? She's only doing this because it's getting close to her dinner. I'm going to feed her now because, uh, yeah, she's not going to stop. She's going to start chewing on the cords. It's going to be a mess. I mean, you're cute and all, Quinn. Don't get me wrong. I love you. But, oh, this is cute. She's now laying by the book. Aw, oh, Quinn. That's so cute. Meow. Meow. Right? She's like, just feed me. I'm not going to respond to you. So the family's got their station wagon. They got all the stuff on top of the car. They got Beethoven who's sticking his head out the window. And they're going through the drive-thru. George is mentioning something about a chicken sandwich or a fish filet. Have you never been to Mickey D's? You can hear the kids kind of squabbling in the back of the car, like, can I get a this? Can I get a large fry? I think Rice is asking constantly, can I get a large fry? So, George is, <laughs> as he's pulling up to the order box, he's saying, is it a fish filet? I thought it was burgers. Like, what, they do more than just burgers? Like, yeah, they do. And it looks like it's breakfast time. Oh, they got the extra value meals at like um a buck 98 from what i'm seeing but that is like the sausage and the egg mcmuffin and stuff like that which probably comes with like a hash brown and a coffee i noticed that there's a spider-man comic book just sitting there on the dash alice is holding on to dolly so yeah (laughs) rice is asking for a large fry and a coke and some other thing and the person's on the speaker box. George is still, like, trying to figure out what all everyone wants. So Beethoven, whose head is still out the window, is like, roof, roof. And, and this person on the speaker box is like, would you like fries with that or something like that? Oh, Beethoven, apparently, this guy speaks dog because he understood that Beethoven wanted a cheeseburger. Would you like fries with your cheeseburger? And as soon as the guy says thank you, George finally turns like, oh, uh, the person's taking the order what (laughs) and the family is now on their way to the cottage i have the book i'm gonna read a little bit this is kind of cute talks about what they're loading up in the car george calling himself mr fun guy or oh mr fun that's what it is okay so i'm gonna read this all right here we go 
Finally, the big day arrived. School was over, and it was time for the Newtons to take off on their vacation in the mountains. The whole family was up early, and they bustled about loading up the station wagon. The car was heaped with suitcases and sleeping bags, as well as a portable stereo, dolls, baskets of food, snacks, fishing and swimming gear, boxes of board games, books, magazines, and tapes. And by the time by the time the car was packed, it looked as if the Newtons were going away for a month, not just for an extended weekend. The last things to be loaded on board were the puppies. Rice and Emily were putting them in the back seat while Alice watched them. And have they all have they done all their little duty pee pee caca? She asked. And Emily Emily nodded. Yep, I'm a witness. George came up to his wife and put an arm around her shoulder. Proudly, he examined his fully packed car and his happy family. I love this, he said. The gang of us just hitting the road. It's just great, you know? Already, I feel like a totally different different person. Alice asked with a laugh, who have you become? Anyone I know? George Newton thought for a moment. I have become Mr. Fun, he announced. Children, children everywhere, Mr. Fun says, get in the car. Okay, Mr. Fun, yelled the Newton children, clamoring into the car. You too, large hairy dog, Mr. Newton called out to Beethoven. With a single bound, Beethoven leapt into the rear of the station wagon, his tail thumping happily on the floor, raising clouds of dust. Mr. Newton slammed the station wagon doors. Attention all Newtons, he announced. Mr. Fun says it's time to rock! With the car radio tuned to an oldie station, George and Alice sung along with the tunes. The kids were amazed that their parents knew all the words to ancient songs like Duke of Earl, Leader of the Pack, Chapel of Love, and a ditty mysteriously named Dua Diddy Diddy Dum Diddy Do. Emily fell asleep almost immediately with Chubby in her lap. Ted wore a Walkman, mostly to drown out his father's singing, and read a Spider-Man comic book, which, of course, we see that comic book up on the dashboard. Well, Tchaikovsky and Dolly snuggled against him. Rice had Mo in her lap, and she stroked his head um, absent-mindedly as she looked out the window, lost in a daydream. The journey passed quickly. Before long, they had left the main highway and were climbing up a twisted mountain road, twisting mountain road that led through a forest of tall, stately pine trees. They were pretty high up in the hills, and the air smelled fresh and clean, and the sunlight was bright, and George took a deep breath and wished that they were staying longer. All right. Halfway around a bend near a pet near they pet Halfway around a bend they passed a sign Lake McDonald half miles a smaller sign nearby read Copper Mountain Road Triple A Kennels next right Lake McDonald Mr. Newton said here we come all the kids were leaning forward in the back seat craning their necks to catch the first glimpse of Lake McDonald. They came around a tight bend, and all of a sudden, there it was. Looking down from the high mountain road, they could see the beautiful lake, a great sweeping, a great sweep of shining blue water nestled at the foot of a tall, craggy mountain. Lining the shore of the lake were a dozen or two dozen were a dozen or two cottages, one of them belonging to Fred Serbiak. Most of the colleges... <laughs> Cottages were rather modest, simple cabins 
meant to be occupied for a couple of weeks a year. But there were one or two rather grand summer homes, large houses with landscape lawns and swimming pools and tennis courts. On the far side of the lake was the little village. It's all so pretty, exclaimed Rice. It seems to be even prettier than last year. A few minutes later, the Newtons rolled to a stop in front of their cottage, and immediately kids and dogs started pouring out. Ted went running to the water. Look, there's a dock and a rowboat. The puppies were not so interested in the water or the dock, but they had picked up the scent of a chipmunk, and so the four little dogs were running around in four different directions trying to find it. George and Alice stepped up to the porch and looked out over the crystal clear lake. The view was lovely, and suddenly Alice felt relaxed and peaceful. She put her head on her husband's shoulder, and he held her close. This was a good idea, Mr. Fun, she whispered. So when the car actually does pull up in the movie, the puppy uh, that Ted is holding, Ted puts him on the ground. Puppies start, they start running. Ted and Emily are like, oh my gosh, look, it's got a dock and a motorboat. There is a motorboat there. There is also a rowboat there. So, yeah, if they want to get out on the water, that's the way to do it, right? Alice opens her door. It's the passenger side door. And this puppy is, like, clamoring, like, I want to get down. I want to get down. And she's like, all right, all right. And Rice is just like, oh my gosh, the view, everything. It's so amazingly beautiful. And George is just amazed that, like, Fred Serbiak has such an amazing, great place here. And he says, I didn't know there was that kind of money in Velcro because Fred Serbiak is George's Velcro supplier for the air fresheners. It was kind of cute. Before the scene ends here, we see Tchaikovsky beating up on his sister. Like, I'm gonna get ya. Then we flash to, it's nighttime at the cottage. We see all four puppies lying on the bed as Emily is praying that they stay small so they don't have to get rid of the puppies. And I'm just thinking, how in the world? Those puppies got to be at least, what, maybe 20 plus pounds? That's 80 pounds of puppy there that she's going to have to slide under in those covers. That is a lot of weight. Oh, I'm sorry, that hasn't happened yet. No, the puppies are on the floor next to Beethoven. And they're all sleeping. But that other scene comes later. Uh, Rice is up. She can't sleep. She's flipping through a family album of the Serbiaks. Yeah, because I'm sure they want you going through their personal family albums. And George, apparently, he can't sleep either. Rice made some hot chocolate. And I like, this is cute. A nice little cute scene. And... She's, Rice is flipping through the pictures and stuff. Like, wow, these people look so young. How come you and mom don't have any pictures from you or this age? And George mentions about how he went to college. And for a, a few years, he and Alice did not see each other. And I'm, he's like, there are times when I wondered if I would ever see your mother again. But he does, uh, George tells Rice, like, well, we kept in contact through, like, letters and stuff like that. And, you know, probably phone calls. Although, depending on if she went away to college, clear across. I mean, long distance was expensive. Even in the 90s, it was very expensive. So, before internet, you probably, you had no choice. You had to rely on writing letters. Okay, so he says that 
your mom went off to college and we didn't really see each other for four years. And he, she says, how do you keep it together? He's like, well, letters. And she's like, letters? Rice, it's 1993. Writing letters to somebody is not a difficult concept to get behind. Nowadays, kids your age probably would be like, letters? What's that? You didn't send them a text or an email or something like that. No, no. Back in the day, this is how you communicated. You wrote letters. You called on the phone. He wrote two or three letters a day. Those must have been like short letters. Like, I'll write a long one here and then I'll write like follow-up letters. Like, almost like keeping like a journal or something day to day and this like, well, this is what I'm doing this day. I'm thinking about you and everything. And I went out to get groceries today or I work at my job or I'm starting to get my business off the ground or something like that. I love how Beethoven's kind of sneaking up there like, oh, I want to pay attention to this conversation. I uh, am separated from my true love. Maybe I can get some tips on how to deal with it. Because George, like, bends down and says, Beethoven, I wrote, I write a really great letter. Like, you can't even begin to imagine how awesome my letters are. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I get where Rice is coming from here. Like, her telling her father, like, wow, it must have been really hard being away from someone that you love. And he says, well, being away from someone you love is one of the hardest things in the world. And Beethoven is kind of resting his head on the table like, I get you both there. And I'm wondering if... Does Rice think she's in love with Taylor because he kissed her, like, once? Is that... I mean, I, I get it. I was a 14-year-old girl at one time. Granted, I wasn't in love with anybody. I wasn't dating anybody. But, you know, I like looking at the posters of the movie star, the guys, Devin Sawa, stuff like that. I didn't think I was in love with them or anything, but <sighs> she's just infatuated with this, this Taylor guy. Like, oh, it must be love. He kissed me once. He must have felt it. And you hear the song queuing up in the background with, you know, the Dolly Parton, um, duet with with the uh, other guy James Ingram I think it is and because this song gets a reprise okay so Beethoven goes out onto the deck he's looking at the moon and now we're cutting across the lake to another cottage what are the freaking odds that Regina and her dumb dumb of a boyfriend what the heck is his name again Oh my gosh, what is his name? Clyde? Is it Clyde? Regina and... Floyd! It's Floyd. Oh my goodness. But they rented a cottage. So they're just up in the woods where Brillo apparently can't find them. Well, I got the book here. Let's find out what they've been up to. Hold on a second. Sorry about that. Here we go. Of course, even in a pretty charming place like Lake McDonald, there are places that aren't very nice. The Newton family didn't know it yet, but on the other side of the lake was the very cottage that Regina and Floyd had rented. It was a gloomy place in a dark hollow at the base of Copper Mountain. Not a sunny and open place like the Newton's cottage. But neither Regina nor Floyd were, were nature lovers. As far as they were concerned, it was just a place to lie low long enough for Mr. Brillo to really yearn for Missy. Really is in italics. 
they have been up there for almost a month now. A month? Are you kidding me? A month? And Mr. Brilla had called Regina. He was ready to give up and pay anything he had in order to get his dog back. Regina was delighted to get his call. Yes, Brillo, the extra million gets you an uncontested divorce and your little doggy back. Are you... Brillo, of course, says, you better be serious about this, Regina, because I'm not kidding around. Guy, you are such a wiener. Get a lawyer. She doesn't have the right to take your dog. She says, don't worry about it. You can have her as soon as we sign the papers. When, Mr. Brillo demanded. The day after tomorrow, Sunday, you come up here. I'll have my lawyer send you directions. Why doesn't he have his own lawyer? And what is, what is some lawyer going to say that her story is for divorcing him? Irreconcilable differences? Oh my goodness. The lawyer will send you directions. She hangs up, feeling very pleased with herself. Then there's a crash from the living room, followed by the sound of something breaking. Floyd and Regina dash into the living room. A glass sculpture lay smashed on the floor next to an overturned pedestal. Missy had knocked it over by accident, and she was cowering in the corner knowing that Regina was going to get very angry with her. You stupid, stupid animal, Regina screamed. She grabbed the nearest thing to her, a box of Kleenex, throw it at Missy, the cardboard container hitting her in the side of the head. Ugh, I hate this lady. I hate her. Missy whimpered and cringed, trying to squeeze herself into a smaller target. I've had it with you, screamed Regina. Yeah, what a dumb animal, Floyd said. Three more days I have to live with this moronic animal, and I'll tell you this. She's not going to do any more damage to this place. Regina grabbed a telephone book, scrambled through the thin pages frantically. Aha, kennels, there's just one outside of town. She grabbed the phone, dialed quickly. A moment later, an elderly woman answered, Triple A kennels. Yeah, hello. I want to buy a cage for a St. Bernard, and I need it fast. A St. Bernard? That would be a pretty large cage, said the old lady. Do you have one or not, Regina said, asked impatiently. Yes, it's big enough. Cost you $800. That's too much, snapped Regina. It's a, I'm a little short of cash right now. Okay, okay, here. Um, They're short of cash, right? How much are they paying for this cottage? Because, you know, regardless of where the cottage is around that lake, it's going to be expensive. It's the holidays. Oh, my goodness. Although they probably got it on a deal or something since they've been there already for a month. Alright, I got all kinds of cages, lady, and they're all cheaper, but they're a lot, all a lot smaller, too. Regina glowered at Missy, who shrank back from her cold glance. Don't worry about it, she'll get used to it. Oh my goodness, goodness, goodness. So, Missy is out on the deck, looking very sad and depressed. She starts whining, we cut to inside the cottage, Regina's coming down the stairs, Talking to Brillo about him wanting to get his dog. He's willing to pay whatever. So she's telling Brillo, you can have the dog as soon as I get my check. She gets off the phone with Brillo. She's filling Floyd in, saying that Brillo took out a loan. He sold some of his bonds, savings bonds to get the dog back. And she's using one of those neck massagers. And Floyd is on the couch. They got mosquitoes in there. He's reading a magazine. Like, what's wrong with the dog? It's crying out there. 
And Regina's like, I don't know. Maybe it's hungry. And Floyd uh, ends up smacking his face because a mosquito lands on him. And he's like, oh, I just fed her yesterday, too. She got to eat every single day. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you got to eat every single day, sir? Because you probably could lay off a day or two. Yes, dogs need to eat more than once a day. Especially St. Bernard. Right, now we're flashing to the city scene. And I'm going to read uh, about what every, everyone's kind of got their own thing going on. Alright. Small Lakeside Village was a perfect little con- count country town. There were only a couple of streets and not many shops besides a big old general store, the food market, and the gas station. On the town green in front of the small town hall, some of the local residents were tossing horseshoes. The whole Newton family, Beethoven and the puppies included, walked into town, eager to explore their new neighborhood. Don't you just love places like this? George looked around. I mean, look at these people playing horseshoes. They're so real. Alice nodded, and equally real is the fact that we have nothing for dinner. Okay, didn't they just say in the book that they, like, packed, like, food and stuff like that? My goodness, plan ahead, guys. Come on. You got, like, three kids here. This should be, like, normal for you. But anyway, all right. Okay, kids, who wants to come on food patrol with me? I do, said Emily, and Beethoven does too. Beethoven barked in agreement. All right, said Alice. We're a lean, mean shopping machine. Great, said George. You don't need my help. No, Alice said to her husband. We'll meet you by the horseshoe pit. Got it, said George. Rice was standing a little apart from the family, looking around as if expecting or hoping to see someone. In fact, all the way up the lake, Rice had been daydreaming daydreaming of seeing Taylor Devereaux. She knew he lived around here someplace, and maybe there's a chance they would run into each other. I think I'll walk around for a bit, she said casually. You don't have to wait for me. I'll get back to the cottage on my own. Will you be okay, asked Mr. Newton. I mean, all by yourself? Rice was already walking away. Daddy, in three months, I'm going to be driving. Oh, that's right. You could drive in at 14 or short, before 15? I, I was 15 I was taking driver's ed. When I was 16, I think I had my... Wait, 99? How old was I? I was going on... 16, I got my license. George turned to Ted. Is that true? Ted nodded. Yup. You want to know how many months until I can drive? No. Fifty-two and a half, said Ted. But it'll go by in the blink of an eye. I'll try not to blink, said George. Listen, we need to build a pen for these little furniture eaters. He pointed at the puppies who were playing with each other, writhing in the dust on Main Street. You mind staying with them while I go into the hardware store? Ted took the leashes. I'll guard them with my life. He said, let's hope that won't be necessary. There's an old man sitting in a chair outside of the general store and an old dog at his feet. George nodded to both of them. Beautiful weather, isn't it? For now, said the old man. George knew that old timers in these little towns usually took some time to warm up to outsiders. So he did his best to be extra friendly. He leaned down to bite to, uh, he leaned down to the dog. So does your dog bite? Nope said the old man. Smiling, George put his hand out to pet the old dog. In an instant, the dog snarled and snapped. George pulled his arm back as if he'd bitten stung. I thought you said your dog didn't bite. That's not my dog, the old man said. (laughs) We got some rollerbladers and some bike 
people on bikes. It's just a nice holiday weekend here. So here we are. Alice is taking Emily into the general store to pick up some food. And she's like, well, I guess I'll go and put Beethoven here where he won't be able to get away. She puts him around um, near the boxes of newspapers. And she makes a joke about, well, I hope no one thinks Beethoven's on sale for 50 cents. And Emily's like, ha ha, very funny, Mom, as they walk into the general store. And Alice, of course, says, I don't criticize your jokes. <laughs> oh, I like here, this is so of a, of a parent with a young child. Like, all right, don't start with the I wants. We're just getting basic groceries. And Emily's like, well, because we're not millionaires, right? And Alice is like, right. It's like, are we thousandaires? And Alice is like, well, not yet. And Emily's like, maybe by Christmas? And Alice is like, eh, maybe. And just as they are walking into this Eddie's place, Floyd and Regina are walking out. Now, mind you, Floyd never saw Ted and Emily. The only one that did see Emily was Regina. So, of course, she does a double take and kind of looks back as she's walking out. Like, that laugh, that voice, I, it sounds so familiar, whatever. You know, she's too transfixed on the fact that, can you believe they don't even sell Avion water in there? And they look at me like I'm some kind of weirdo. And you know, talk to them, it's like nothing's going through. Lady, you are in the country. This is a general store. They're not going to have Aquafina. They're not going to have Dasani. They're not going to have Avion water. Your hoity-toity lifestyle is going to have to go down a few notches if you're going to just try to make the best of the situation. Because you put yourself in this situation by taking that dog to begin with. So, that's all on you. Floyd's carrying two bags. Of course, she's not doing anything. Is that a lot of toilet paper? <laughs> He's got, like, single rolls of toilet paper and, like, paper towel in the other bag. What, they don't sell, like, the, um, the Charmin or the, the Cottonelle or anything? Like, a four-pack? You gotta get single rolls? Which, oh, in my mind, only a country store would probably have singular rolls, right? Because I don't think, like, a regular grocery store, like a Walmart or a Meyer is gonna have, um, they're not gonna have the singular rolls of toilet paper, I don't think. They're just your basic stuff, your eggs, your, your meat, your... Your, um, milk. <coughs> so, you're not gonna find steak <laughs> at a general store. Sorry about that. I was coughing. She calls it Avion water. I thought it was Avion water, but who knows? I could be wrong. Whoever, you know, E-A-I, whatever. Alright, here's some information on the scene coming up. Ted goes into a village store, no he doesn't, and leaves Beethoven out on the sidewalk with his leash tied to a newspaper vending machine. When he sees Missy riding, ride by in a car, he starts pulling on the chain. He strains and pulls over several vending machines. This scene was shot in cuts. The vending machines were rigged so that they were not heavy for the dog to pull. Separate shots were filmed of the dog just pulling on his leash. A special effects man pulled the vending machines. Alright, gotcha. So as Regina and Floyd are walking in the car, Beethoven immediately spots them. And he figures, yes, if they're there, then Missy's gotta be with them. 
She's actually not in the car with them, which I'm not surprised. Because why would they bring her if they're just running to get a few groceries from the village store? And, of course, being that he is tied to the vending machines, Beethoven's not going anywhere. Now we cut to Rice, who is just kind of glancing around. I see a sign on, it's, uh, looks like a marina, uh, a fair that says July 4th weekend. That is going to play a part in the movie. We see a guy who plays uh, Seth, it's a character name, but this is Danny Masterson who played Hyde on that 70s show. I believe this is his first theatrical appearance. And he's definitely dressed like 90s with the short sleeve shirt over the long sleeve shirt. His short sleeve shirt has white skulls on it so probably like somebody who's into like metal music stuff like that we see a sign that said boat rentals motorboats canoes rowboats tackle so on and so forth and he's got like a part like a screwdriver or something he's kind of like flipping around on his finger and right away he notices well at least the back of rice he's like oh can i help you and rice turns around like oh um Seth immediately zeroes in on Rice, but it's not a creepy way. It's a cute way. Like, oh, hi, you're you're new here, huh? I've never seen you before. He's like, hey, what's your name? She's like, Rice. And he's like, Rice? Like the food? She's like, yeah. <laughs> like, eh, my name is Seth. It's not a food group or anything, but it works. <laughs> That's cute. Like, Seth, wake up. Seth, fix the boat. Seth, you're grounded. He's like, it's fairly basic. And then he's like, oh, are you going to be around for a while? And as soon as he, she kind of cuts him off like, oh, I'm actually um, looking for Taylor Devereaux. I think he's got a cottage up here somewhere. So is she kind of shutting him down in a way? Like, she can tell that he's interested, but she's so preoccupied with this Taylor Devereaux. And of course, by the expression on Seth's face, he knows who Taylor Devereaux is. He knows probably the kind of family that Taylor Devereaux comes from money. I mean, you saw the car he was driving in the beginning of the movie. This kid comes from money. And he's like, oh yeah, my dad and I, we used to sell him firewood. So it almost kind of sounds like Seth and his dad aren't really as well off as like the Devereaux are. Like they get by with, you know, the boat stuff, you know, boat rentals and everything and selling firewood. But... So he lives over on the West Shore. And the way, it almost like Steph, or, um, Seth is being kind of rebuffed by by Rice a little bit. Like, oh, I'm being rejected. Another girl here looking for the Devereaux boy. And she's like, oh, can you take me to him? Like, I'd be like, uh, if I were Seth, I'd be like, no. But he's like, uh, sure, sure, I'll take you. Okay. Okay, so the description of Seth here is a little bit different. So Rice was walking by the shore of the lake, looking dreamily out over the still blue water. Suddenly, out of nowhere, she heard the sound of a dirt bike racing down the bank, and a moment later, the machine pulled up right next to her. The boy riding it looked like he was about 16 years old. He wore torn jeans and a t-shirt emblazoned with the name of a heavy metal band. Now, I did not see that. I saw him wearing a black shirt that had white skulls on it. That's what I saw. He had long brown hair that fell to his shoulders. No, he doesn't. His hair is kind of shaved on the bottom, but it's long and curly. Like, not long, long, but it's, you know, curly on top on the sides. It's really nice. I really like it. 
I'm guessing this book was like written before they had cast the guy who played Seth because this description is just like <laughs> he was cute and had a nice smile hi he said as he killed the engine of the dirt bike you're new in town aren't you rice nodded that's right what's your name rice said rice rice like the food rice nodded sort of the boy nodded okay that's cool I'm Seth it's not a food group or anything, but it works. You know, Seth, get up. Seth, fix the boat. Seth, you're grounded. It's fairly basic, you know? In spite of herself, Rice smiled. Uh-huh. Can I give you a ride somewhere? I've got an extra helmet here. Rice shook her head. I better not. So why is he offering her a ride when she didn't... Uh. Seth shrugged. Okay, he tried to kick the bike back to life. Back into life. Enjoy your summer. But the bike wouldn't start. Seth smiled ruefully. That's the last time I buy a motorcycle for my father. Then the engine sque squealed into life and Seth turned to go. Hey! Rice shouted suddenly. Wait a minute. Seth shut the bike down again. Change your mind? Do you know if the Devereaux's have a cottage around here? Taylor Devereaux? She couldn't believe that she was saying his name out loud into a complete stranger at that. Seth gave her a little smile. Oh, the Devereaux place. Yeah, it's on the West Shore. My dad and I haul firewood over there. Can you show me? This time the dirt bike came to life instantly. Okay, this dirt bike is obviously possessed by Christine or uh, the car. or <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's magically coming to life. All right. Sure, climb on. Rice pulled on the helmet, climbed on the wide seat. Behind Seth, they flew down the beach, Seth taking the bumps and hills of the lakeshore like a pro. It didn't take them long to travel the few miles to the house, which sat on the lake. Rice had to admit that she was pretty impressed. The cottage wasn't a cottage at all, but an old lakefront estate that looked as if it dated from the 1920s. There's a big house up on the bluff, with a series of perfect lawns sloping down to the water. At the lake's edge were a long dock and a, an elaborate gazebo. Laughter was coming from the gazebo, and suddenly a beautiful blonde girl in a bikini ran out laughing and giggling. A moment later, Taylor followed chasing the girl down the dock. He caught up with her and tossed her into the water. Her happy screams seemed to fill the air. Seth wasn't watching Taylor and his antics. His eyes were on Rice. It was plain to him what was going on. Rice was very disappointed to find that Taylor had company. Are you going to say hello? He asked. Rice didn't take her eyes off Taylor, but she was wise enough to know that she wouldn't be welcome. Seth, would you mind taking me home? And that's where that chapter ends. Alright, so he hands her a helmet and they drive off. Now we cut to Ted. Ted's got his own thing going on here. As he is introducing this long This girl has got long dark, like all the way to or past her butt. It's pretty long. She's petting the puppies, like, and Ted is telling the girl which puppy is which. Chubby is the big one. One with the bows is Dolly. He says, the brown one's Tchaikovsky and the small one's Mo. And, uh, by the way, I'm Ted. The girl's not even painting. She's too busy looking at the puppies. Like, hi, Tchaikovsky. I gotta hand it to Ted. He has got some bravery. He's like, so, uh, can I buy you a Coke? The girl finally st stands up, like, to her full height. And she's got a good... She's... I'm not going to say she's a foot taller than him, but she's got at least a good six inches of height on him. She's got braces, she's got long, straight, dark hair, and before she even stood up and he said that, she was kind of like, had this look on her face of 
disgust. Like, ooh. And she still got that look of like, ooh. The first thing out of her mouth. Aren't I a little tall for you? <laughs> Ouch. Girl, come on. This cute little boy here wants to buy you a Coke. You say yes. You don't say, aren't I a little tall for you? He's not asking you to be his girlfriend. He's just wanting to buy you a beverage. Why would you turn down a free beverage? It's not like there's strings attached. He's not like, oh, well, you're. G I want you to kiss me when I after I buy you this drink. Like, what? No. Ted's got game. And we're going to see that game later. And, and Ted, to them questions like well not for me and she's like aren't you a little short i'm like okay this is where i would if i were ted i'd be like you know what nuts to you i can't believe i even let you pet my dogs goodbye i'm going to read the little uh paragraph here how this i think it's pretty much gonna go the same way over by the horse pit, Ted was having an adventure of his own. He was holding the leashes of all four puppies, staring transfixed as he watched the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen in his entire life pitch horseshoes at the metal stake. She was tall and graceful, and she certainly knew how to play the game. She picked up one of the iron rings and with perfect form launched it at the pole. It wrapped itself around the pole with a clang. Good throw, Janie, said one of the men watching from the town hall steps. That's the game, said another one. Janie, thought Ted. Her name is Janie. It was the most beautiful name he had ever heard of. Then he realized that it, she was looking right at him and smiling. Then he realized that she was heading his way. Those are cute puppies, said Janie. Can I pet them? Uh, sure, said Ted. Bedding down, Janie started to caress the little dogs. What are their names? Well, said Ted, that one is Chubby, and the one next to him is Tchaikovsky, Dolly, and Mo, and uh, I'm Ted. Hi there, said Jane, although Ted couldn't be sure if she was greeting him, the puppies, or all of them. Ted knew how to act fast. He gathered up all his courage and took a deep breath. So, uh, can I buy you a Coke? As soon as he spoke, he wondered if he had enough money to buy her a Coke. He sure hoped he did. How much does a can of Coke cost back in 93? Like, a buck? Less than a buck? I know that a two liter now, not a two liter, I'm sorry, a 20 ounce. Guess how much that costs? A buck 99. A buck ninety-nine. That's not including the ten cent deposit here. That is cray cray. You want to know what's even crazier? A two liter costs a buck eighty-nine to a buck ninety-nine. So you're getting half of a two liter, or even more than half, for the same. Pr oh, that's just crazy. It's crazy. I tell you. I remember back in the you know back where I where I I work. At my job, we have vending machines. You want to know how much a 20 ounce of Diet Coke is? A buck 25. A buck 25. That's 75 cents cheaper. So Janie stood up, raising herself to her full height. She was at least a foot taller. Okay, well then, a foot, six feet, six inches, whatever. And she looked down at him, skeptic, because she's at least a head taller than him. So maybe like a head taller is at least a foot. She looked down at him skeptically. Aren't they a little tall for you? She asked. Ted shook his head. Well, not for me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't bother me one little bit. Of course, he was wondering just what she meant. Besides, he had offered her a soft drink, not an engagement ring. I mean, 
Don't you think you're a little short? Ted shrugged. Well, height is just temporary, he said. I mean, you wake up every morning and you're a little taller, right? It happens every day, doesn't it? Things have a way of changing very, very quickly. Well, said Jane, the truth of it is, I wake up taller. You probably wake up shorter. She started to walk away. Bye. Ted watched her depart, feeling as if his heart had been crushed. He finally met the girl of his dreams, and she was hung up on height. What could he possibly do about that? Buddy, that's not the girl of your dreams. A girl of your dreams is going to be somebody who accepts you for however tall or however short you are. And the fact that she says this in the book, I don't believe she says it in the movie, saying, oh, well, yeah, I wake up a little taller every day, but you wake up shorter. What? What? That is, that makes no sense. This girl is stupid. Ted, you can do better. No, he does ask, like, when you wake up in the morning, you're a little taller, right? And she's just like, no. She just shrugs, like, eh, whatever. See ya. Nice dogs. Bye. <laughs> and we get a close-up of Ted feeling so sad. Like, oh, I blew it. Ted, what can I say? I mean, you went for the coat. You, you jumped right in there. You got guts. I gotta hand it to you there, but... Eh, maybe moving a little too fast. Like, here, pet my puppies. I'll get you a Coke. Okay, so this is definitely different from 1992. Both Rice and Ted in the sequel have issues with the opposite sex. Like, Rice is all into boys. But then again, she was like that in the first movie. Ted in the first movie had to deal with bullies. Now he's dealing with a girl who... Thinks he's short and too not good enough for him. And Emily, she's just doing whatever with the puppy. She really does not have much going on. Whereas in the first movie, she was the one to witness Dr. Varnick hitting Beethoven and putting blood on him and this and that. So that was her, and the almost drowning. So she had a good part in that first movie. Now in this movie... This girl got nothing to do. She's got nothing to do. She's just hanging out with the puppies. All right, now we cut back to Rice and Seth. He's dropped her off. She's heading down to where the dock is. Already, you can hear girls screaming. And when I say girls, I mean more than one girl. There are three girls with Taylor. What a horn dog. He is such a man slut. I, I, I like um Rice's fish, her, her purple or pink, uh, Fish earrings, those are cute. So, Rice is looking on like, oh, he didn't really think I was that special. And he is like throwing all three girls and one of them, it looks like he freaking, like, the way he grabs her with one arm near her butt and the other arm wear up like towards the front of her but it's like it looks like he's fingering her through the bikini bottom as he throws her in that's gross and he's now he's like flexing his muscles and waggling his ass in front of them like kick on my butt i threw you in the water taylor's gonna get it where he can get it clearly i think rice in a way in taylor's mind is like rice is an easy catch I can say some lines, I can kiss her, I can make her fall in love with me, but she will never, ever really have me. This guy's got a tattoo! Ick! I mean, nothing wrong with tattoos, mind you, but still, it's just like, ugh. This guy's already a slime ball. I pegged him from the first 
moment we see him on screen, this guy is going to be a jerk. This guy is going to be gross. He's gross. And Seth is kind of still sitting on his bike, kind of watching, like, what is she going to do? She's clearly not going to. We see, oh, there's Taylor's, his powder blue Corvette Mustang Ferrari, whatever you want to call it. Bryce has clearly seen enough because she's heading back up like, hey, can you uh, take me home now? I want to get out of here. All right, now we're cutting back to the cottage. The puppies, George has gotten some like um, chicken wire to kind of make like a fence for the puppies to be in. It's a temporary holding. And he's got, <laughs> he's going to try his hand at uh, chopping some wood. Oh my goodness, he's going to take off a hand. He's not, but it's like, this guy's so inexperienced. He's got this giant, small log that looks like it weighs probably like 20 plus pounds. And he's waggling around on this chopping block. And he's trying to like pull the axe out of it. And the puppies are all watching. He's like, okay, puppies, watch me do this. Because I ain't going to be great. You're watching the master chopper here. <laughs> he puts his foot, the axe is still embedded in the top of that log, and he's putting his foot on top of the log to steady it. I'm like, you are going to cut off your toes because you're going to try to pull that axe out. Axes are heavy. They are heavy. Oh, he's got a, his hand, his foot's been removed. Well, not removed, but he moved his foot, put his hand in place, now he's pulling... That just makes me nervous. It just makes me so nervous. I think he should be wearing gloves. Don't you think? I think he should be wearing gloves. So it looks like he's made a couple attempts here. He's like, alright, watch this one. As in, I've tried before, but I'm really gonna do it this time. So his hands are holding closer to the base of the axe. Shouldn't you have your, like, one hand, like, higher up closer to the top of the the axe and like one like lower so you're not like putting all your weight just into that just makes yeah the puppies are like we don't really care we kind of just want to get out of this pen they if they tried they could jump that pen because it's really not tall at all it's like maybe two feet <laughs> those puppies if they get a running jump they could scale that chicken wire fence Oh, well, that was smart. He went, he cut a chunk. The force that he put into it cut a chunk, which slammed into his headlights. Didn't break the headlights. It just bro broke off the part that is the metal part, the frame of the headlights. Like, that's real great. Like, oh, my God. So Rice and Seth pull up on the motorcycle. George has got the axe like embedded in the chopping block there almost like oh my daughter's on a motorcycle with some strange boy i've never met before better keep this axe handy well, seth is on this like oh hello there and george just gives him the the snarly head now like yeah i see you over there with my daughter <laughs> so rice does the introductions like dad this is seth he gave me a ride in from town and george is like huh and he's like, oh, how long have you had that bike? He's giving Seth the third degree. So Seth says, I've had it for a couple years. Are you splitting wood? See, Seth and his dad sell firewood, so clearly they know how to chop wood the right way. George, are you serious? He's like, eh, you gotta be careful on those. 
He's been riding that. He's probably been riding motorcycles since he was like ten. I'm sure he's good. It's a dirt bike anyway. Talk about awkwardness. If Seth is like, eh, yeah, hmm, and Rice is just looking at her dad like, really, really. So Seth is like, all right, I'm gonna bounce. See you later, Rice. Nice meeting you, sir. Bye. <laughs> the way that Rice and her dad just look at, like each other, at each other like, oh, we do have to talk, don't we? <laughs> this is awkward. Not as awkward as the awkward silence between the three of them, though. <laughs> so he just cuts to the chase like, oh, you like that guy? And she's like, hmm, I don't know, what do you think? And George is like, mm, I know, he's just nice, I guess. I love this part. As Rice crosses her arms and she starts to walk back to the cottage, she stops and turns to her dad and says, You like his earring though, right? And George is like, Oh, I love his earring. I'm going to buy a pair for each ear. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> uh, she, and Rice is like, Oh, well, you know, if he asks me to marry him, I'll, I'll tell him I need some more time. And he's like, Oh, yeah, marry him, uh huh. <laughs> this cottage is beautiful. I love the front of it. It's got these amazing tall wall size windows and the way that it's like at a, the roof is at like a, a point, like vaulted ceilings. It's really pretty. Okay, so I'm going to read this part where Seth and Rice come up. Daddy, this, uh, <laughs> Daddy said Rice, this is Seth. He gave me a ride from town. Seth, this is my dad. Hello, said George. Nice to meet you, said Seth. Splitting wood? George nodded. I'm trying. Seth plucked a blade of grass and sucked on it. Well, don't let us slow you down. Okay. <laughs> Determined to show that he knew how to do something as simple as splitting logs, George took a deep breath and let fly with the axe. He struck the piece of wood a he struck the piece of wood, a glancing blow, and sent it flying. Seth almost had to throw himself flat on the ground to avoid being hit by the block of wood. Rice started to laugh, but stopped when her father glared at her. But Seth was sympathetic. Yeah, he said knowingly, that dog wood is tough stuff. George put an yet another log on the stump. I take it you've chopped some wood in your day? Seth said, till I was twelve. Why did you stop? Mr. Newton said, or asked, raising the axe high above his hand. Got a chainsaw. This piece of good sense put George off his aim completely. The axe fell, missing the log completely, and the blade buried itself up to the handle in the stump. Up to the handle? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. Seth nodded. For me, working with the axe pretty much came down to two things. Mr. Newton was straining to get the axe head out of the wood, but he paused long enough to look over at this curiously self-assured teenager. Oh, it did, huh? Seth nodded. That's right. First, he explained, you take a look at the log and decide exactly where you want to put your axe. George was curious. And then, you put it there, said Seth with a little smile. Then he put all his weight on the kickstart of the bike and the engine burst into life. Well, it was nice meeting you both. He spun around. Yeah, basically, he's gone. Okay. <laughs> George watched the boy drive off, then turned an inquiring eye on his daughter. You like that guy? I don't know. What do you think of him? The question made George feel uncomfortable. He didn't meet Rice's look. Instead, he busied himself with pulling the axe head from the stump. This was the first conversation on the subject of boys that they had ever had. Mr. Newton had a feeling it would not be their last. I, I think you could do better, he said finally. A little smile passed across Rice's face as if the thought of her father being uncomfortable amused her. 
Okay, if he asks me to marry him, I'll tell him I need some time to think about it. How's that? Ray stared up to the house. All the same, I don't think you should, you know, George shrugged. Don't spend a lot of time with him. Daddy, we're only here for the weekend. I probably won't have the chance to see him again. That wouldn't be such a bad thing, said George under his breath. However, despite how he felt about Seth, he didn't use the boy's technique for... Oh, he did use the boy's technique for splitting wood. Looked at the log on the stump, saw where he wanted to place the axe blade to go. And with one quick swing, cut the log in two clean pieces. Like, ah, George was impressed. Cool. Great. That's awesome. Good for him. I mean, splitting logs, I could never do it. I mean, I guess I probably could if I really wanted to, but I don't really want to. We don't have a fireplace. We don't need to cut no wood. So now we're inside the cabin. Beautiful cabin. Great windows looking out on the lake here. Rice wants to ask Alice about if she's ever loved two guys at one time. And asks, well, how did you choose dad over this other guy? Like, what was it about him that made the choice easy? Oh my goodness, look at that Diet Coke 2 liter. Remember the ones that they had like the hard black plastic bottom? Oh my gosh. Plus, didn't they have, they had like the red logo with a white background, I think? So basically she says like, well, he made me laugh. Because George comes in with dishes and stuff. And he's rocking out to the song, Do You Love Me? And it's just, it's so funny. <laughs> and he proceeds to chase around Alice and Rice. And then there's a cute dance with George and Alice out on the dock with the sun setting. <laughs> and Ted and Emily with the puppies are all on the deck watching their parents dance out on the dock. It's adorable. Of course, Rice is like, you know what, I'm going to take Beethoven for a walk. We're going to go through the woods. Oh, this is, oh, well, they're, they're dancing around in the, in the, around the kitchen table. This is such a trope with dogs in these dog movies that somehow they superimpose the dog putting their paws over their eyes in embarrassment. Like, ugh. And you know it's not them really doing it. So, <laughs> George has got his hands up all Frankenstein style as he's chasing his wife around the kitchen table. She's gathering up plates and glasses and that two liter. Like, honey, please. I'm going to fall. You're going to fall. Something's going to break. The Serbiax will be angry with us. We'll never be able to use this cottage again. Just chill yourself. This is so beautiful. This sunset on the water. And the way that Ted and Emily are looking at their parents like they've never seen them even kiss. Like, oh my gosh, they look so in love. I've never seen my parents embrace before. It's so alluring. Like, what? It's not like your parents fight all the time, and this is the first time you've ever seen them embrace and hug in, like, a decade. So interesting that when we train, change to a different location, we always get a cut of the moon. Like, oh, there's a moon up there. Now we're going to Taylor's place where he has got a raging banger party going on. I like how that deck has um, lights around it. That's pretty cool. And you can see the upstairs bedroom's light is already on. So Taylor planned this, like, when he sees Rice. Like, maybe she'll come around. All right, here's some behind-the-scenes stuff. Rice is taking Beethoven for a walk along the beach when she hears some loud music coming from a teen party at a large cottage. 
The cottage has a wooden deck that is one story above the beach and that stretches right over the water. When Rice is invited to the party, she ties Beethoven's chain to a post, which supports the second floor deck. Rice is inside the cottage when raunchous teenagers on the deck start dropping beer on Beethoven, who is below them. This scene was shot in cuts. When the teens were pouring the beer, actually colored water, the dog was not there. For the shots of Beethoven being doused with beer, he was wet down with plain water. Beethoven becomes agitated uh, with all the tormenting and leaps forward. Yanking out the post which supports the deck, the deck collapses into the lake, carrying all the teens down with it. The scene was filled in cuts, and all the details were worked out in advance so that nothing would fall on the dog. Beethoven's chain was rigged to break easily, and a special effects man was the one who pulled a cable to collapse the balcony. Seven cameras filmed the scene at the same time in order to decrease the number of necessary takes needed to achieve this scene. Alright. So, Rice creeps a little closer, notices Taylor in the red shirt talking to some girl, and Taylor, like, looks, and then he turns back, and then he looks like, Rice, is that you? He's, like, surprised to see her, like, oh, wow, Rice, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, we were just taking a walk. And he's like, well, come on up, I'll show you around. And he's like, oh, you might want to tie up your dog. Tie up your furball. He refers to Beethoven as a furball. Oh, at first, Rice is a little hesitant, like, I don't know, it's kind of like, and he's, like, prodding her, like, come on, come on, you know you want to. She ties up Beethoven, and Beethoven's like, oh, great, I gotta stay here and hang out. So right away, these kids, you know, they're, I see Coca-Cola cans there. But Taylor's like, hey, you want a beer? And she's like, no, no, I don't drink. And this guy who looks like a 90s grunge version of Michael J. Fox kind of looks like him, kind of sounds like him. Like, he's like, hey, why don't you drink? Maybe you don't, you don't drink beer, but maybe once you try it, you'll find out you actually like it. And Taylor, of course, is like, hey, if she doesn't want to drink, she doesn't want to drink. Like, lay off, buddy. And this guy's like, hey, gentlemen, as he lifts his, beer, lifts his beer in the air. What time is it? It's brewski time, as everyone shouts. Ugh. So these guys all gotta be probably, like, seniors in high school. None of them look like they're college. You know what? Uh, human being-wise, these guys are probably all over 21. <laughs> Taylor is probably... I'm gonna look up this Taylor guy and see how old he was when he was filming this movie. And also, um... Um, why can I not think of the girl's name? Nicole Tom. Alright, so Nicole Tom was 15, and the guy who plays Taylor is 19. So, I don't know if this is, it might have been legal, it might not have been. This was 93, so who knows. Okay, here is, um... Rice asking her mother a question when they're around the kitchen table. Mom, can I ask you a question? I mean, just as a woman, not as a mom. Sure, Alice said. Rice paused for a moment. When you met Daddy, did you feel something special? Alice nodded. Yeah, I mean physically. Yeah, do you still feel it? But before Alice could answer, George came sweeping into the kitchen. He had split a half a cord of wood and was feeling pretty proud of himself. He was singing at the top of his lungs and scooped up his wife and danced her around the kitchen. George! <laughs> Alice exclaimed, laughing. 
He waltzed Alice back to the sink, then skipped happily out of the room, still singing. I'm sorry, dear. What was your question? Do you still feel that way? George could be heard bellowing and whooping in another part of the house. I think so, she said with a little smile. Oh, this one's cute. This is a cute scene. Emily was the next to claim her father's attentions. As he came dancing into the living room, his daughter jumped up at him. Tchaikovsky clutched in her arms. Daddy, can I show you what I've trained Tchaikovsky to do? George stopped singing. Sure, sweetheart. Emily put the puppy down on the floor. Okay, watch. Tchaikovsky, sit. The little dog looked up at the little girl and then rolled on the floor, playing with an old shoelace he found somewhere. He didn't want to sit, and he didn't care who knew it. Well, George said. He was thinking about it. I could tell. Maybe with a little more practice, you'll have them all trained. No, no, insisted Emily. He really can do it. Tchaikovsky, sit. This time the puppy ignored her completely, not even bothering to look at her. I think he's tired of listening to me, Emily said. That is excellent preparation for having children of your own, said Mr. Newton. But Emily had more tricks up her sleeve. She picked up the small stick she had brought in from outside and held it under the puppy's wet little nose. Tchaikovsky, fetch. With all her might, she threw the stick to the far side of the room. The little dog made no attempt to go after the stick. Instead, Tchaikovsky looked at her, a puzzled expression on his face, then without warning sat down on his fat little rump. He looked very pleased with himself. You know, I don't think he speaks too much English yet. <laughs> Okay, so this scene here is where Rice sees Taylor at the party. Where he says, come on up, I'll show you around. Rice wanted to stay, but something inside of her told her she shouldn't. I don't know, she said uncertainly. Stepping behind her, which Taylor does not do this in the movie, Taylor started to push her up the beach toward the house. Come on, he said playfully. At least come and see the view. Wow, you're heavy. He felt She felt his hand snake down to her ribs, and he began tickling her. Rice giggled, Beethoven growled. Okay, she said, okay. Taylor glanced down at Beethoven. Maybe you better tie up your dog. My parents have a lot of carpets and stuff. We wouldn't want him to do any damage, would we? Okay. She wrapped Beethoven's chain around one of the posts supporting the deck and followed Taylor upstairs. Alright. Oh, he says, how do you know that? Because she says, I don't drink. He's like, how do you know that? Maybe you just do drink and you just don't, or you do like to drink, but you just don't know it yet. And Taylor's like, alright guys, chill out. If she doesn't want to drink, she doesn't want to. So, Taylor takes her on a uh, exploration of the house on a little tour. He's like, isn't this is so funny. I mean, I just had a dream about you the other day. Has that ever happened to you where you dream about somebody and you see them the next day? Like, this guy is so full of crap. So, of course, this whole beer drinking thing makes Rice uncomfortable and she wants to head out. But Taylor is able to goad her. Like, come on, just see the view from the bedroom upstairs. It's really great. And she's like, all right, but just for a second. So this is where the guys, the drunk guys, notice Beethoven down there. They're like, hey, you want a beer, doggy? And they start pouring the beer on the... It's not real beer. It's just colored water. They are wasting so much beer. So upstairs, we see Rice goes over to the window to see the view. She does not look around or hear Taylor lock the deadbolt above the door. Oh, he locks both the deadbolt and the the doorknob. Again with the shot of the moon. He's like, oh, wow, isn't it amazing? And then he's like, I still think about that kiss in my car. 
this guy is full of crap. If I were right, I'd be calling him out on his shit. Like, oh, really? Well, you must not have been thinking of me too much. Were you thinking of me when you were throwing those three girls off that dock? I doubt it. Like I said, this guy gets it where he, he can get it. And the fact that he locked that door is like he thinks he's going to be able to take advantage of Rice. I'm sorry, but this guy to me, he's just not attractive at all. He's got this giant Adam's apple. He's got these gross fish lips, which completely cover Rice's. And he, they break away from the kiss, and he smiles at her, and he's like, this is going to be great. And the look on Rice's, Rice's face is like, what are you talking about? As then, because he knows that Rice is a virgin. He's like, oh, this is going to be great. I'll be with someone that's never done it before. Ooh, I'm sure he's been with plenty of girls who have not done it. But basically, he wants, he's going to try to attempt to rape Rice. You piece of garbage person. Here's a question. Where's the girl who played Michelle? Where's his sister? She not at this party? Get off with the parents somewhere? But he goes in for another kiss, but this time he's putting his hand on the back of her neck. And she is immediately like, I think we need to head downstairs. He goes right to the door and starts rattling the doorknob like, did you lock the door? And that's when Taylor's got the key ring on his finger. Like, <laughs> of course I did. And he's laughing like it's the funniest thing. <laughs> of course I locked the door. Now we're cutting outside where Beethoven is getting a... He's getting bathed in beer. They're just covering him with beer. And Beethoven can't exactly get away yet because of that chain around that pole. So Beethoven has had enough. Like, screw this. As he yanks on the deck. And you see the guy who's holding the beer. And they're like... <clears throat> Well, you can see the deck start to shift. Like, Beethoven pulls on that pole. And the guys are so drunk they can't even tell. Like, oh, that was funny. And now we're cutting upstairs where Rice is like, Taylor, this is not funny. Unlock the door now. And he's telling her, Rice, Rice, relax. This is an experience you're never going to forget. What, you raping her? Yeah, I'm sure she's going to, like, have you arrested for assault. Because this guy is clearly 18 and she is like 14, 15. That is illegal. They're still pouring beer on Beethoven because you can see the cameras getting like this cloudy vision. He's had enough. Like you guys are all going for a swim. If you die, you die. I don't really care. So he pulls loose of that pole and he's free. And not just that pole, but the other poles connecting that deck. Yeah, it's basically going to rip the front, the face of that house off. And you can see the deck starting to crumble and people are going to be going for a swim. Upstairs, Rice is like feeling the house like shaking. Not to mention, Taylor's still by that window. And he flies back and the drunk guys on the deck also go in the water. Uh, yeah, Taylor's like doing a backflip as he's going into the water. But it's almost like, wouldn't it have been nice if he had been impaled on one of those posts? I think it would have been nice. So we got people that are like on the back side of the deck where the poles weren't. And some people that are in the house and they're everyone's drunk. They're like, oh, this is so fun. Taylor's looking at the house like, my parents are going to fucking kill me. Arr! 
Luckily, Royce gets that. Oh my gosh, can you imagine if he had taken the keys with him? But luckily, she gets the keys and is able to unlock the door. And before she goes, she looks at Taylor and says, Hey, Taylor, great party. Let's see, the support for the deck also held up the roof. Now, the only thing holding it together was two old rusty chains that ran at an angle up to the second story. The instant the deck collapsed, the second story wall started to peel away. The whole front of the house was coming apart. You don't seem to understand, said Taylor. You and I are going to have an experience you'll never forget. Oh, I love how he says you and I. Rice was really scared now. No, let me out of here. Magic, said Taylor. Come on, look at the view. The moon. There's only one thing missing. He leaned against the wall, but before his arm actually touched it, the entire wall of the bedroom collapsed in a shower of plaster. Taylor fell right through the hole. There was a scream and then a bump and then a big splash as Taylor tumbled straight into the lake. Quickly, Rice unlocked the door, ran down the stairs to look at the damage. Most of the house was in the water, and all the party guests were thrashing around in the lake. Beethoven was sitting on the beach, watching all the trouble he had caused. He looked pretty pleased with himself. He barked happily when he saw Rice. Good dog, said Rice. She bent down and gave her faithful dog a big hug. I think we better go home now. Together they raced off into the darkness. The party goers stumbled out of the water. Taylor was in shock. His parents were going to kill him. Damn straight, I'm sure they will. But Howard and the rest of the guys were delighted. Howard clapped Taylor on the back. Taylor, man, great party. Yeah, you're screwed. You Oscar root. Okay, so here we get to Emily's prayer where she's praying to God. Like, we have these puppies here. We really, really love them. Our dad says when they get older, when they get bigger, they have to go to a new home. Can you please make it where they don't grow up, where they stay the same size, and we won't have to get rid of them. Then we can keep them. All right, now we're going to the 33rd annual Columbia County Fair. We got some nice uh, quilts that are on display, some other things. Some um, needlepoint work, some pillows. We see kids on horse little ponies. Some kid is doling out tickets to other children. This woman with huge bifocals is telling this man to smell a pie that she's holding in her hand. Got guys that are cutting logs with axes. We got the puppies that are on the leashes. And of course, George is like, oh my gosh. The rides that I used to go on at the county fair were amazing. And he's stuffing his face as Alice is like, Honey, are you too full after that breakfast? And and to jo this is George's response. Honey, it's a vacation. You're supposed to pig out. Oh, look, the rides. And of course, Emily's like, Can I go on some of the rides? And Alice is like, Yeah, Ted, will you take your sister to go on some rides? And he's like, Yeah, sure, but I need some money. Oh, George is snacking on french fries. Like, these french fries are great. I'm going to get some more. And that's where Alice is like, honey, are you a little full of the big breakfast? George is going to come to regret these words of, it's a vacation, you're supposed to pig out. Whoa, look at these. We see basketball game, milk can toss, 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 tip them over, baseball, tickets, snow cones, a lot of fun stuff. So guess who else wants to go to this county fair? These people look like the, not not the Newtons, no. Regina and Floyd look like the people that would never, ever want to be seen at one of these county fairs. Why are they going? You know why? So that way they can meet up the the, the whole thing with with um, Ted and, and Emily. 
meeting up with Regina, who saw them with the pup. Well, she didn't see them with the puppies, but he had a giant box. So put two and two together when you find out the puppies that you're going to put in a garbage bag aren't in the room where you first saw them. And they brought Missy, too. Okay, great. Because she's going to sit in the car and sweat to death. Floyd's even like, should we leave the dog? And Regina's like, it'll be fine. The windows are down. It won't be that long. She'll be fine. Nowadays, your buck could probably be called for animal cruelty. You can't leave your kids in a car. I can't believe... I remember this one time. I was um, picking up something at Meyer before I went to work. And it was summertime. It was hot. And these two ladies went to their car. They must have left their dog in there. And they're like, I think their dog's name was like Rocky or Rocco or something. Like, Rocco, Rocco. And their their voices are getting panicked. And they're looking. It's like, where's our dog? And they're freaking out. And immediately my heart like went like down into my stomach. Like someone took their dog, which... Maybe they had the windows up. Maybe someone's like, someone left their dog in there. The windows are down a little bit, but I'm still going to take it because it's animal cruelty to leave your car, your dog in a car on a hot day. Well, here we go. This is where Ted sees at the front of the line the girl he was going to buy a Coke for. Or buy a Coke. Because he's at the back of the line and you see his face lights up, like lights up, literally. Like a Christmas tree, almost. He's like, oh, wow, she's there. Ted, she rejected you. <laughs> Who is this big, huge twerp with uh, spiked hair and shaved sides? He's got an earring. He weighs like 300 pounds. I'm sorry, I'm not fat shaming. Maybe he doesn't weigh... Th- but anyway, he and this little dark-haired kid who's like three feet shorter than this dude... Is this his little brother, his cousin? What? Because the guy's walking along and he knocks this kid's hat. This kid is just walking, passing him. And the ki- this guy is like knocking his hat off. It's like there's two dudes, teenage dudes right there who would gladly, I'm sure, kick your ass. And the big guy here, spiky hair, goes and stops the little dark hair boy. Like, oh, look at this girl. She's got a bunch of tickets. Let's, oh, it looks like the tickets are 25 cents a pop. So she's got, like, a bunch of tickets. Of course, she's walking along, and spiky hair and little bowl cut boy are like, hey, I'm going to take your tickets from you. What is this dang little bowl cut kid's deal? Why is he hanging out with this big bully? Because the big guy, the spiky-haired guy grabs the tickets and the girl's like, hey, what are you doing? Those are my tickets. And the guy's like, not anymore, they're not. But as soon, like, when he ripped the tickets out of that girl's hand, the bowl-cut boy is like, I didn't see anything. Well, like, why are you there? You're not serving any purpose. So Ted sees what's going down like hey and of course the bully looks at him like hey what do you want go away oh he calls ted shorty and before that he called this girl string bean of course this is cool ted is the man he's like hey you want to see what my dog can do i'm sure the guy's like no i really don't i don't give a shit about your dog no he's like just looking at him like what what the what and ted's like my dog i want to show you what he can do so the guy, the guy just like, whatever, just, what can your damn dog do? 
So Ted tells Beethoven to sit. And the guy's like, wow, I'm impressed. Not. Get out of here. You remember back in the 90s, that was a thing you'd say something like, that's a great shirt. Not. <laughs> nice haircut. Not. <laughs> he tells him to buzz off. And Ted's like, all right, one more. The kid's like, do you want to get your face crushed? Get out of here. And he tells Beethoven to bark. So the bully edges closer to Ted. He starts walking up like, do you want to get your face crushed, shrimp? Now get out of here. And Ted just looks the guy right there like, you know what? One more. Last one. I promise. Beethoven, bite this guy in the dick. Bite him in the pe- Rip his penis off. Now he says, bite this guy in the wiener. I'm like, rip the guy's balls off and the dick too. We don't need this dude procreating anytime in the future. Beethoven actually lunges for the guy and the guy like takes off running and so does the bowl cut boy. And they drop the tickets. The girl's like, oh wow. You hear this like music undertone like some guy who just saved the town or saved this girl from being like taken by this big manly jerk person or something like that. What's a dip bowl? Because there's a little tent that says dip bowl. Oh, the tickets just happen to fall right at Ted's feet as the girl approaches him. He hands them to her and says, I think these are yours. And she's petting Beethoven like, thanks, Ed. And Ted's like, "Mm, it's actually Ted. Thanks, Ed. (laughs) You mean Ted? Yeah, it's Ted. Like, whatever, I'll take what I can get. Did she say cruel or cool? I'm sure she said cool, but it sounds like cruel. This girl looks like her full teeth have not actually grown in yet, and she's got braces on. And she just looks at him like, you still want to get that Coke? And he's like, yeah, but I'm buying. And he's like, he turns to Emily, let's go, kid. Now we cut to a that milk, milk can toss thing with the baseball. And Seth is actually over there, and Rice goes up to him. Yeah, now he's wearing a hooded flannel short-sleeved button-up shirt over a black t-shirt that's got large grayish-white skulls with no noses and no eyeballs. Just eye sockets and a nose socket. Hey, Rice, how you doing? She's like, good, I'm here with my family. My dad's like, hey, want to get up early and play Scrabble? And, of course, Seth is like, yeah, I can go you one better. My dad's like, hey, you want to get up real early and go hunting? I love how Rice and Seth are bonding over how corny their dads, especially George, is very corny. Like, let's get up real early and play some Scrabble, kids! That is a cool-sized bear, and that is not a little toy. I mean, it's not one of those gigantic ones. It's like a medium-sized one. But he's like, oh, here, I want this just for you. And she's like, aw, that's sweet. So she starts, but she before he can give her the bear, she walks away, like, I'll see you later. And he's like, hey, you want to do something later? And she's like, I can kind of with my family. And, of course, Seth probably thinks that George thinks about him as some dumb... Dumb, dumb hick. Oh, he asks her if she wants to go on a picnic. That's sweet. I like that. Oh, she says, sure, but I gotta talk to my dad first. And he's like, oh, well, your dad will probably say no. He says, your dad probably thinks I'm a dumb, unsophisticated hick. 
And she's like, no, he doesn't think that. And he's like, that's all right. When your dad actually gets to know me, he'll think I'm a smart, unsophisticated hick. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I like your bears. They start to walk along. He's like, oh, really? I want it for you. Aw. He is a charmer, this boy. He's a cutie. He's a keeper. Now we come to George, who's sitting at this stand where people probably line up to get their food. He's got soft pretzels. He's got what looks like maybe a chili dog or a hot dog. What are these? Are these like fried, deep fried chips or something? So Ted and Emily like go up to him like, Dad, we just entered you in this amazing contest. And George is like <laughs> stuffing his face. He's like, I, I can't do anything physical right now, kids. I am like part here. This is like, this is where I'm setting up shop for like the afternoon. If you need me, I'll be here at the food stand stuffing my face. And they're like, no, Dad, you don't have to do anything. The contest is you just sit there. And they're dragging him away from all this food. That I think he just ordered something else. Has he even paid for the food that he's shoveling into his face? I don't know. <laughs> so they drag him away. And he's like, what kind of contest is it where I just sit there? Like, you'll see what kind of contest this is. They're nachos. Why do I think they're like deep fried chips? No, they're nachos. Okay. These are great nachos. <laughs> Columbia County Fair. Pet and owner burger bench. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, the scene with the, with the girl plays out differently for Ted. Thanks, she said. You're Ed, right? And he's like, Ted, can I buy you a Coke, Ted? Ted played it cool. I'd love to, but I have to take a rain check. He nodded towards Emily, who was, who was still standing in line waiting to buy her tickets. I've got responsibilities. Maybe later, asked Jane hopefully, Janie hopefully. Yeah, later. Ted strolled back to the line, feeling very pleased with himself and delighted with his dog. Did you really teach Beethoven to bite someone in the wiener? Emily asked. Ted shook his head. No, but he knew what I meant. He ruffled the fur on the back of Beethoven's neck. Didn't you, boy? Beethoven just smiled and has got an exclamation point. Rice was browsing in the craft section of the fair, admiring a quilt. When she felt someone tap her on the shoulder, she turned. It was Seth, and she was surprised how happy she was. She felt to see him. Well, probably because he didn't lock you in a room with the intention to rape you and take your virginity, would be my guess. <laughs> Hi, said Rice. How's it going? Pretty good. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Hi, said Rice. How's it going? Pretty good, said Rice. You're here with your family? Yeah, Rice said, squirming in embarrassment because, of course, teenagers, family time is like, ew, I don't want to be seen with my family in public. Ew. You know how it is. But Seth, Seth didn't care. Listen, he said earnestly, I have to work at the marina till five. But after, afterwards, you want to go on a picnic or something? We could go for a walk, talk, you know, whatever. Unlike Taylor Devereaux, she knew she could trust Seth, but she couldn't see him. Rice smile, Rice's smile faded slightly. Well, actually, I can't. My dad kind of told me not to see you. Seth looked hurt and a little, uh, looked confused and a little hurt. Why? Why would he tell you that? Rice shrugged. This is really hard to deal with. I don't know, because he's a dad, I guess. Seth's face fell, and he blushed slightly. Well, I guess I better get going. He retreated a few steps, then stopped and turned. Enjoy the rest of your summer, Rice. You too. Rice hated herself for hurting his feelings, but she didn't know what else to do. Growing up was more difficult than she had ever imagined it would be. <laughs> cool. Let's find out more about this wonderful contest. 
Let's see. There were also contest stands. Cutest baby, tallest baby. Right, team number one is Arthur Lewis and Wolfgang. That's a German Shepherd. And some guy in a blue and white striped t-shirt with overalls. So this guy is champion for three years running. Cliff, Klamath, and Jaws. This lady behind them has got two silver metal bowls filled to the brim with plain hamburgs. There's no cheese, there's no dressing, there's no mayo, there's no ketchup or mustard, nothing. Just plain hamburgs. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. And the lady, <laughs> the one of the blonde-haired ladies must be his wife because she's giving him a thumbs up. Right, in third position, he says, let's give a nice warm welcome to some out-of-towners, George Newton and Beethoven. George is sitting there feeling probably embarrassed, but he looks like he's going to puke. And he, he's, he overdid it probably. He had a big breakfast. He had fries. He had nachos. He had stuffed. He had um, those big pretzels. A lot, a lot of food. It's probably catching up to him. All right. We got the family there cheering him on. We got Alice and Ted up front. Then we got Rice and Emily right behind them. What? They couldn't all be there? I mean, you got three, like, girls to the right or left of Alice. Rice and Emily could have taken those spots. Okay, so the three-minute time limit, whoever eats the most burgers is going to be considered or declared the champion. And the guy who plays the judge might sound or look familiar because he played Mr. Hodges, the boarder, on the show The Torkelsons. I feel, we keep cutting back to George just feeling sick to it. He, he just looks like, I am not up for this. It's also sponsored by Milkbone. Here's some uh, behind the scenes info about this burger binge thing. The Newton family attends a county fair with the pony ride. There are pony rides for the children, games, a contest for the adults. George and Beethoven enter a contest where they are pitted against other dogs and their owners to see who can eat the most hamburgers in three minutes. Of course, George and Beethoven win. Special lamb burgers were made for the dogs to eat and the scene was filmed in cuts. Baby food was placed in the bowls that the dogs licked out. And George is taking a sweet time with this one burger. He looks like he's had more than enough to eat, like, anymore. And he's gonna, like, his stomach's gonna, like, break open and bleh, all over the place. Because he's taking small bites. And then these two teenage boys start heckling him. Like, what is your, where, where's your appetite, dude? You're an out-of-towner. Like, get on with it already. And this kid's like, hey, look at that slobber on that St. Bernard's mouth. And they start, like, calling him drool, the Beethoven drool face. And then they're saying, you're a wimp, guy. Where's your appetite? And Emily stands up for her dad, like, hey, he's not a wimp. He's my dad. Now shut up and sit. She doesn't say shut up and sit down. But I would be, shut the fuck up or I'll go over there and beat your ass. These burgers look like the grossest, plainest burgers known to humanity. This blonde-haired kid is like, hey, where's your appetite? And you see Rice and Emily and Alice are looking at this kid like, who do you think you are heckling our father up there? But at least Emily has the guts to like tell him to like, hey, he's not a wimp, he's our dad, shut up. Then we got this like, short, dark-haired kid who's a few inches taller than this blonde-haired mop of a kid. He's like, hey, look at this slobber on the saber now. It's mother, like, drool-faced wimp. And George is like, all right, that's it. Come on, Beethoven, let's go. We're gonna win this competition. Like, that heckling is enough 
for George to push through the indigestion and heartburn he's probably suffering from. And what he's doing to make those burgers smaller is he's smushing them between his hands to flatten them as much, flatten the bread as much as humanly possible to be able to get. And they got water and stuff, but mind you, they got three minutes. Maybe, most likely less than that now. Like how he's, as he's eating the burger, he's turning it like clockwise. Like, he's eating the hour outer later, so that way he can probably shove, like, the rest of it into his mouth. This is so gross. As we cut the sh- I don't mind the dog's close-up shots, but the guy's close-up shots stuffing burgers in their mouths. Well, you see, like, the bread, like, in between their teeth. It's really nasty. I didn't need to see that. We can see it from the stands just fine. I think as the footage sped up here as Beethoven is, like, zooming along just eating- What's in the bowl? I like the German Shepherd. The look on his face like, I'm gonna get you as he starts going after what's in his bowl. The big guy, the cliff guy, is like got a burger as the guy's, the judge is counting down from 10. And the guy is like got the burger near his mouth, but he's punching the bun to try to shove it into his mouth. Like, dude, you are done. You are done. George puts his hands down and surrender. His face, his cheeks are so bloated out to here. Like, I can't right now. Oh my god, my insides are gonna burst. Now we cut to Floyd and Regina, who we really haven't seen too much of at this place yet. Three burgers left, and they won. Good for them. Two full burgers inside George's, and then one that looks like the bun has just been ripped to shreds. So... The judge announces the winners, George Newton and Beethoven, and George puts his hands up in victory. He's like, oh, God, I'm gonna die. As the family goes up there to congratulate, he's like, please don't touch me. Please don't touch me. I have to vomit. I need to find a poor potty. It's so gross. They pinned a little, like, blue ribbon to um, Beethoven's collar and we see evil-eyed Regina is like oh this is what passes for entertainment in this town Hicks and their dogs why did they can't why are they there we know why they're there we know why they're there because she's got it like oh I see those two little brats who took those puppies and I see the puppies there with them I'm gonna take them Beethoven's got a sixth sense. I mean, he's a dog after all, but but he you get a shot to his face, like close-up shot. Like he's sensing, he sees Regina and them. Like, okay, if Regina and Floyd are there, Missy's gotta be there. So Beethoven takes off. The family's more concerned about George. He's like, good for you, Dad, you did it. And he's like, ah. his his cheeks like balloon out. Like he is ready to blow chunks right off that stage. Like, you guys need to get him to a porta potty or somewhere so he can like vomit all those burgers up all right so we got beethoven searching the grounds he's out in the parking area it's not a parking lot it's just a road that's got like vehicles parked on either side of it we see beethoven's point of view he's searching he sees the car and missy is there and they have a sweet little uh rendezvous there like oh i missed you i've been taking care of our kids for you of course, she's nuzzling him. The blue ribbon falls off Beethoven's collar, which will become a point momentarily. We cut to George and the family. He's trying to get into an available porta potty so he can vomit all. There's some trees right there. Just go in the trees. There's some trees. You don't have to. Oh my god. Porta potties smell like shit enough. You really want to be bent over when vomiting? 
listen your own toilet. You know who's gone into it. You don't know who's gone in. Someone could have a case of massive diarrhea. Like massive, massive Taco Bell diarrhea. And you're going to vomit into this hole. The smell alone is going to make you vomit quadruply more than you probably would have. So they knock on one, which isn't available. Why do they say men on there? I mean, anyone can go into them. It's not gen- It doesn't have to be gender specific. Unisex. Oh, I bet maybe we get- it's not going to have a urinal in there. But then again, they knock on another one. And this guy, this dark haired guy with a long ponytail... He clearly had a newspaper with him. Oh, God. He takes one look at George and the family. Whoa, okay, I, let me get out of the way. <laughs> we get that kind of uh, like like sound, like anxious sound. Um, Ted and Emily are waiting for the parents. Why couldn't they all have just went with George? Well, of course, if they did, this wouldn't have happened. And we see Regina looking around. She spots the dog. She sees Ted and Emily. Immediately recognizes them. Tells Floyd, like, hey, I can you check on Missy? I got a feeling. Like, what? She's fine. No, can you please check on her? She doesn't give a shit about Missy. She don't care. She just doesn't want Floyd there for when she goes after those kids. Because Floyd doesn't know Jack Diddley about the kids. Or maybe, well, when they were packing the car to go to this mountain retreat, she probably told them. Or told Floyd about the kids in the candy bar. So we see that Emily is bent down tying a shoe. Uh, Ted's looking at his watch. Like, come on, Mom and Dad, where are you? All right, let's go. They start running. We cut to Floyd. We see a door is opened. And the blue ribbon that Beethoven was wearing is on the floor. He gets, Floyd realizes Beethoven was there, slams the door like, I knew it, I knew it. He's looking around before he even notices that blue ribbon on the ground. He's like, oh boy, oh boy. The dog's lost in an area we are not familiar with. Oh my gosh, the dog could be anywhere at this point. Oh man, what do I got to tell my girlfriend? She's going to kill me. She's going to blame this all on me. I know it. He's wearing this dad sweater and he's wearing boots that got uh, some fancy steel-toed design on them. So, Ted and Emily are oblivious to what's going on behind them as they're just walking along and Regina rips those leashes right out of Ted's hand. She looks at him and says, $11 for chocolate bars, huh? And he's like, what the heck? And Emily's like, it's her, it's that lady. And Ted is looking at her like, hey, those are our puppies, lady. Our dog contributed in consummating with that female dog and producing those puppies. So half those puppies are ours. And he's like pointing out something. Those are our puppies. And she's, he goes to grab the leash and she smacks his hand away like, bitch. And she just looks at him like, they're not yours, they're mine. No, they're not. That is not your dog. Those puppies do not belong to you and you do not get a say in what happens to those puppies. And he's like, give them back. And she says, hey, the puppies belong to the mother and the mother belongs to me. Um, excuse me. The puppies are also part of Beethoven too. So if you want a legal dispute, which I'm sure, well, George doesn't got money, but even still. I was like, that dog doesn't belong to you. I would smack that bitch. I would have smacked her. She is the epitome of a villain with the drawn on eyebrows and the slicked back hair and... Just the grossness. She's wearing Cruella de Vil re- 
Dick Rowe develop or where we're at? I thought she, whatever. But there's a spot in the book where this kennel company, this old man and lady, whether I think they might have bred St. Bernard's at one time and they're seeing the puppies as like, those puppies look like they could be worth a lot of money. We gladly take them off your hands. So I'm going to read that part in the book. Okay, this is interesting because this person's name here is Cliff Klamath. Let's see. Oh, la, 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 la. It wasn't long before a middle-aged couple walking up to them and started petting the dogs. Just look at those puppies, said the woman, friskier than anything. Happy Independence Day, folks, said the woman's husband. He took George's hand and pumped it. I'm Cliff Klamath. How you all doing? I'm George Newton, and I guess we're doing pretty good. A little full, but George joined his wife in petting the pups. They all started barking except for Tchaikovsky, who buried his needle-sharp teeth in the cloth of Cliff's pant leg. Mr. Newton tried to dislodge the puppy. Tchaikovsky, stop that. I'm awfully sorry. Sometimes they forget their manners. But Cliff didn't seem to mind. He just laughed heartily. Don't I know it, he said affably. I'm in the business myself. The business, asked Alice. Cliff just laughed again. The dog business. Dog business. You need them, we, bre you need them, we breed them. Our place is just halfway up the mountain. Still smiling, he handed over his business card. George read it for the whole family. Triple A breeding kennels. Cliff and Mona Klamath. Proprietors. How do you do, said Mona. Anyway, said Cliff, I don't want to take up too much of your time. If you haven't got plans for these pups, we might be interested in taking them off your hands. Really, said George? Sure. For a purebred litter like, litter like this, we pay a pretty fair buck. Making a fair buck was something near and dear to Mr. G Newton's heart, but he knew he could never sell the puppies. Not now. I don't think so, he said, shaking his head. They're sort of family. That's a pity, said George, uh, said Cliff, looping his thumbs into his suspenders. I wouldn't be surprised if Mona here, she's the banker, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if she dug deep into her pockets for those little Bernards. No, said Alice. We couldn't possibly. Cliff raised his voice a little, cutting her off. Now, before you say no, consider this. Mona, what kind of figure are we talking about here? Just to show Mr. Newton we ain't trying to cheat him. Mona scratched your head. Well, giving it some thought, I sincerely feel these puppies are worth $400 each. $400? George said. That was a lot of money. That's $1,600 cash said Mona. For puppies you don't really need. Oh, that's rude. $1,600 for four puppies, her husband added. Let me tell you, you're not going to do any better than that. George was tempted. Money was very tight. Tight at work, tight at home. And an extra 1600 would certainly come in handy. But before he, could, before he could say a word, a strident female voice yelled behind him, Excuse me, but those puppies are mine. Everyone turned. It was Regina. The instant Beethoven saw her, he leapt forward, snarling and snapping. George had hold of the leash, and he pulled back hard. Beethoven, no. George, Regina did a snarling, a, a little snarling of her own. Keep that mutt away from me. Did I hear you say those puppies are yours? Asked Cliff Klamath. That's right. They were born to my St. Bernard in my apartment building under my supervision. These children stole them from me. She jabbed a finger at Ted and Emily. If they're worth anything, the money belongs to me. Alice Newton was flabbergasted. I beg your pardon? Regina bent over Ted and Emily. The boy and girl shrunk away in terror. You weren't selling candy bars in my building. You were dog napping. Mommy, said Emily. I'm scared. 
What is going on? demanded George Newton. Your children are thieves, said Regina calmly. They lied about why they were in my building, and they took my puppies without permission. Now just hold on a minute, said George. You hold on, mister, snapped Regina. You're very lucky I haven't charged him with grand theft. Alice couldn't believe her ears, but this woman, no matter how unpleasant, did seem genuinely angry. Alice turned to Ted and Emily. Is this true? Yes, said Ted slowly, but they were Beethoven's puppies too. See, that is what everyone is forgetting, that those dogs also belong to Beethoven. George was amazed. You mean you knew they were hers and you took them? But she was going to drown them, Emily wailed. Regina snorted. Drown puppies worth $600? I hardly think so. Now hand them over. Ted and Emily looked close to tears. Rice was upset too. Do we have to, Daddy? George nodded. If she owns the mother, I guess the puppies are here, hers. Big fat tears rolled down Emily's cheeks, but she was going to drown them. I heard her. Are you going to hand them over or do I have to call the police? Alice was grim-faced. You better give them back, she said quietly. As Ted handed the four leashes to Regina, Emily hid her face against uh, Alice's leg and sobbed, bitter sobbed bitterly as if her heart would break. Mr. Newton turned to Regina. I promise you they will never do anything like this again. Regina smiled nastily. Well, if they do, I'll have them arrested. This is so stupid. I'm so... Stupid, stupid, stupid. She yanked the puppies and started to walk away. Then she stopped and smiled coyly at the Klamaths. Any idea where a business-minded dog owner could get a cup of coffee around here? Cliff nodded. Yes, sirree. There's a cafe right around the corner, and my wife and I will be pleased to show you where it is. Wouldn't we, Mona? We most certainly would, said Mona. The Klamaths didn't care whom they bought the puppies from. As Regina and the breeders started to walk away, Beethoven tried to run after them, pulling so forcefully on his leash that George was almost yanked off his feet. Oh, my goodness gracious sake. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's definitely in the book, it's different. And there... Ugh. So the whole thing, Ted is still like, hey, you can't have those puppies. And she keeps smacking his hand away. As Floyd comes up and says, hey, Missy is gone. Their stupid dog went and took Missy and they ran up to the mountain. And she says, you're not going to see these puppies again. If I catch your dog before you see them, the dog is as good as dead, basically. So they head up, and then we see George and Alice being briefed by Ted and Emily about what happened to the puppies. We also see Floyd and Regina taking the leashes off the puppies, using that blue ribbon of Beethoven's to see if these dogs can pick up the scent. And run, try to find um, Missy and Beethoven. So, yeah, Regina and Floyd turn to walk away. He's like, give me them mutts as he grabs the leashes and starts really pulling on those leashes to the point where one of the puppies is flopped over on its side being fully dragged away. And yeah, you see, George is so angry. I mean, he just vomited up everything he had inside of him. He's like, what kind of lady takes puppies from children? And they're like, hey, she's a bad person. She was going to drown them. It's like, hey, don't worry. We will get the puppies back. All right, now we cut back to Regina and Floyd, who are chasing after the puppies. They try to go over a log. Also got the Newton family calling for Beethoven. The puppies hit a... Oh, they don't hit a log yet. No, they hit a, um, a bridge that is kind of dilapidated. 
puppies cross go across it fine, no problem. But Floyd and Regina don't have as much luck. They crash through. One of the puppies is like, what's that commotion? They, it goes over there. We get another pee joke as pee starts to trickle down and land on Regina and Floyd. Alright, so after Regina regains possession of the pups, the re- she releases them into the woods with the hope that they will lead her to Missy. The pups sniff the ground, climb over logs and branches, cross a small footbridge. These scenes were filmed in many cuts and were basically A to B action, where the pups responded to a buzzer with food as a reward. When they crossed the bridge, extra safety precautions were taken, such as safety nets on either side of the bridge and handlers ready to catch any pup that might stray off the side of the bridge. None of the pups did. While in the woods, the Newtons confront Regina and Floyd, her partner in crime. Floyd takes a puppy and holds it over the edge of a very steep steep cliff, threatening to drop the pup. The scene again was shot in cuts with a real puppy and a fake pup. Of course, it was the fake pup that Floyd held in his hand over the edge of the cliff. So the puppies cross the log, no, no problem. Regina and Floyd try to cross, but they f- they fall. They go rolling down a hill. Like, oh my goodness. I'm sorry, just Floyd falls off, which I'm not surprised. He goes rolling down the hill and he lands in a stump. In a tree stump. Gah, he would be as good as dead. So he's hanging there, his feet in the air. Oh my gosh. We see Regina, like, twiddling her, her fingers on the side of a tree. Like, or drumming her fingers on the side of a tree. Like, her with her manicured nails, How? She, why would she even be touching that tree? She's waiting for Floyd. He comes up, he's got a freaking tree on his a stump on his head. It's like, what's on your head? He's like, it's a stump. I can't get it off. So he bends down and she eventually pulls it off but with the force that she falls backwards starts rolling down the hill and he shouts to her, thanks Regina. So the puppies head up the hill and we see Missy and Beethoven just chilling out by the waterfall. Just, oh, so romantic. We're finally back together. The puppies are all like, ruff, ruff, ruff. we're barking, we're barking, we're here, we're almost here, we're close, we can smell you from here. Oh, see, and Missy hasn't seen her puppies since they were taken from her. Or she was taken away from. So it's so cute, a family reunion. So Regina and Floyd somehow managed to still be alive and make it up to the hill, see Beethoven and Missy with the puppies, like, hey, I'll get Missy. Floyd's like, don't worry, I'll take care of the other ones, including Beethoven. As he does this guy thing of, like, hiking up his pants, like, her, her, I'm a man, her. But, of course, Beethoven anticipates this as he starts heading towards Regina, and she's like, oh, keep this dog away from me, as Floyd gets a stick, a giant stick to, like, Hey, stay away, stay away. Oh, I noticed that Regina also has the um, the chain leash to hook uh, Missy up. And Missy's kind of moved away with her puppies. Like, she's protecting her puppies. So she's telling Floyd to poke Beethoven. Like, poke him, poke him. And she grabs one of the puppies that is curious enough to wander over to her. And Regina picks the puppy out. Like, hey, you thought you'd get away from me, wouldn't you? Don't, didn't you? And Missy is like, oh, she's got one of my puppies. What you gonna do? And she gives the puppy to Floyd. Like this, here, take this big old butterball, Floyd. As, uh, leverage against Beethoven. 
And Floyd is taunting Beethoven with a stick, saying, hey, you want this? You want your puppy? Oh, you can't have him. Too bad. So he's shoving that stick right in Beethoven's face. And Missy, or Regina's taunting Missy, like, come on, Missy. Regina loves you. Like, no, you don't. That dog ain't stupid. So she manages to get Missy clipped. And the three puppies, um, I think they got... Is that one chubbier? I think um, they got Mo, uh, Floyd's got Mo, Tchaikovsky, Dolly, and Chubby are there looking on, very very frightened. And Floyd is edging more closer to the edge of that cliff with the puppy in his arm. He's like, "Hey, you want some of this?" <laughs> and George is like, "All right, you need to put the puppy down, guy." And Floyd is not even worried. Like, oh, this puppy here? Here. Here. You want this puppy? Here. You can't have this puppy. Here, let me stretch it out my arm with the puppy in my hand out across where I could drop him off this cliff and it would clearly die. Yeah, George is like, put the puppy down. He's got the smirk like, hey, you want to test me, buddy? And of course... Alice, ever the one to try to just keep things calm, like, hey, can we talk about this? Can we calm down? And George is, like, putting his hand out, like, just relax, just relax, because, like, Floyd's got the puppy out, outstretched, like, he could just drop that puppy in a heartbeat. And he's like, hey, what kind of person are you? And Floyd's like, what, you don't like me? What kind of person are you? George is like, hey, this doesn't have to get ugly. Just put the puppy down, all right? And, of course... Floyd puts the puppy down and says, hey, that's not ugly. This is ugly. He takes that giant stick, rams it right into George's stomach. Mind you, he'd been throwing up all those burgers and everything he ate. Oh my gosh. I'd be suing this, the, these people later on. So Alice and the kids rush over to George. And I remember in the theater when Floyd rammed that stick, hey, London, uh, into... George's stomach. I, I don't think I stood up in the theater, but I'm like, George, are you okay? I was so invested in the story that I cared for the characters enough to shout, are you okay? <laughs> so Regina's laughing her ugly ass off at this idea that this guy, like, her boyfriend hurt this guy. What a piece of shit. Beethoven's had enough, like, fuck this, you're both going over the edge now. Because he takes the stick, jams it into Floyd's grind, thank you. As Floyd is flailing back, he grabs onto Regina's hand, who she lets go of Missy, and they both go tumbling over the edge into this beaver dam mud pit. This looks like mudish liquid tar. And the, the Newtons are looking down at all this. Hey, don't worry about it. We'll help you out. And Regina's like, forget it. Forget it. You can take your puppies and stuff them. And Floyd's like, hey, this is all your idea. I didn't want a part of this. And luckily the dam breaks through and they go sailing down the river. I love this line here. As they're all like, hmm, whatever. Alice looks at George like, hmm, you hungry? Well, he did just throw up all those burgers. He might be hungry. All right, now it's five months later. That's probably how long that lawsuit took for Floyd, or not Floyd, um, for um, Brillo and Regina. So this is actually a dream sequence here. As George comes home, it's been five months since the trip, so this is what, Christmas time? They're in California, so it's not snowing. But George sees the house as a mess. There's a whole bunch of puppies here. All 
different sizes. Apparently this was a dream because George starts screaming and Emily is waking him up. Here's a little bit of that. At the end of the film, in a dream sequence, the Newton's living room is filled with nearly 30 puppies. The area where the puppies were filmed was caged in so that the pu no pup could actually stray. They were placed in position by a dozen handlers and were filmed as they moved about. Interesting. I really like that. So George wakes up, stands up, notices his living room is not filled with puppies. It's absolutely fine. So then the, if it's been five months, those puppies have got to be... Oh, boy. they got to be getting close to maybe eight months old, maybe even closer to a year at this point. So the doorbell rings. Rice comes down the stairs. She opens the door. It's Seth. So he's like, hey, you ready to go? And she's like, yeah, I just got to grab my jacket. She runs upstairs. George comes in like, hey, oh, you're taking Rice to a concert? He's like, yes, sir. You're not driving your motorcycle, are you? He's like, oh, no, I have my dad's Jeep. And George is like, Jeep? You'd think that he, if the way that he said Jeep, you'd think that he was talking about a tank or, or, or something, something un worse than a motorcycle, which I can't even think what that would be. And luckily, Alice is there to kind of diffuse the tension there for George, who's nearing a... He just had a nightmare about 30 puppies in his living room. He's still a little shaken from that. So Alice is like, oh, gee, that'll be fun. Honey, calm down. Calm down. You're getting stressed out again. Do you need to take a pill, dear? My God, what is your deal? He is a decent guy. He didn't try to rape your daughter like that other dude did, which I'm sure you'll never hear about that. Doorbell rings again as Rice comes down, and it's Brillo, Missy's owner. He comes with Missy, says, hey, I, got, I just got back from court. Let me tell you about how the case went down. Missy's back. She's got her cute bow on. She wants to see her babies. He says, I just came from court, and the judge threw out Regina's claim. And I'm like, yes, thank you. I knew she wasn't going to get anything. If anything, Brillo should be suing her. For the detriment of what he put, what she put Brillo and Missy through. The anguish, just poorly taking care of that dog. He says, I keep Missy and Regina gets nothing, which is as it should be. And they're like, oh, good. And George is like, well, she deserves it. Like, you're dang right. She deserves it. She deserves a lot worse. I like that they kept the puppies and that way they're near where Brillo is so you can just come by whenever and just Missy can see your kids. That's a great situation. I love how George calls up to the stairs and says, puppies, puppies, your mother's here. <laughs> they don't know what you're saying. Why are she, they calling them puppies? When they come down the stairs, they are clearly full grown dogs. And all of a sudden, the, the, how, the walls start to shake, and Alice is, like, putting a hand on the wall, like, to hold the pictures in place so they don't fall. As the puppies start rushing down the stairs. Oh, Beethoven barks, and the puppies come downstairs. First down the stairs is Dolly, because she's got the bows in her hair. Then Tchaikovsky. You got Chubby, and you have Mo, who's got this glued-on-looking fake mohawk thing it's like it's not real and then the credits roll and that's the movie and everyone is petting the dogs they're having a great time as rollover beethoven plays so here in the book i'm gonna go back to when uh, regina took the puppies away all four of the little puppies turned and looked at their father with droopy sad eyes and barked their little barks before they were yanked around a corner and out of sight 
Emily just couldn't stop crying. That lady hated the puppies. She just wanted them back so she could sell them. Ted was desperately trying to think of a plan. We could buy them back. If you lend us the money, we'll get part-time jobs. Yeah, Rice said. We could get a morning paper out and I could work at McDonald's. It wouldn't take that long to get the money. Alice shook her head sadly. It's not that simple. We spent what we had on the new machinery and the bank won't lend us any more. And after the new line comes out, it will be it will still be 90 days before we see any money. In the meantime, we've got enough to feed ourselves and go to the movies once in a while. And that's about it. Maybe we could sell the TV, said Ted eagerly. Yeah, the puppies are better than the TV, put in Emily. Or, uh, Ted said eagerly we could sell the TV. Please, it's over, Alice said. They're gone and that's it. But Alice was as upset as everyone else. Unable to face her children, she turned away. George Newton looked down at his family and then at Beethoven's big sad eyes. No, he said, voice firm. I'm going to get them back. You're what? asked Alice, astonished. You wait here, he said. Everyone watched in amazement as George took off running in the direction that Regina and the puppies had taken. He trailed them all the way to the coffee shop and got there just in time to see the Klamaths writing a check to Regina. Wait, please. I'll pay the $1,600. Regina just sneered at him. You? The puppies gathered around George's ankles, yipping happily, and they were delighted to see him. My children love these puppies, he said, pleading with the woman. Let me buy them. Please let me buy them. Go away, said Regina disdainfully. It's so important to us, George begged. The Klamaths have lots of dogs, but these are special to us. It's for my kids. Regina nodded. Okay, I'll sell them to you and your brats. The price is $2,000. George was taken aback. But you were going to get 1600 Regina checked her flawless red nails. That's right. So, Mr. Why do I have to pay 2000 Oh, said Regina. I don't know. She flashed him a cruel smile, just for fun. George looked into her mean little eyes, and for a moment he, he was going to tell her off to really let this heartless woman know what he thought of her. Then he thought of his tearful family, took out his checkbook, and slowly began writing the check. Oh, boy. Okay, so this is a little different. That night when the whole family was sound asleep, Beethoven crept off the sofa and crawled into the tiny, tiny laundry room off the kitchen. Climbing into the utility sink, Beethoven jammed his nose under the half-open window, raised it a few inches, crawled out into the night. As he dashed by the puppy's pen, all four of the little dogs heard their father and immediately started yipping quietly, scratching at the wire trying to get out and follow him. Chubby managed to squirm under the wire, so Beethoven had to rush back and nudge the little dog back on the pen. He woofed quietly, ordering his unruly children to stay put. Let's see here. So, all in all, Beethoven does manage to get to Regina's place, get Missy out of that too small cage that she was locked in. All right, good. All right, so the puppies were able to free themselves out of that chicken wire. So, basically, they just, the puppies decide to go after their father. Then the Newtons wake up the next morning and find out that the puppies are gone. Uh, along with Beethoven. Okay, uh, we learned that Regina's last name is Davidson. And apparently she won't be in the phone book or anything. She's just renting. So Rice decides to go to Seth because she figures if anyone's going to know where Regina is, where she lives on that lake, 
it's going to be Seth. So the Newton family follows um, Seth on his motorcycle. They follow up to Regina's place. Good way up Copper Mountain. Okay, so the puppies made it to Regina's and they're sniffing around because Beethoven and Missy are not there. They went up the mountain. Okay, so this is what leads them to go to the... Okay, I get it. I want to read this scene here. Is Floyd is having a full-out conversation, in a way, with Beethoven. Floyd took one look at Beethoven's bare teeth and knew that he needed more to defeat the big dog than a stick. Snatch, he snatched up one of the puppies, Mo, and waved him at Beethoven, holding him by the scruff of the neck. This your kid? yelled Floyd, jabbing at Beethoven with the club. You like this kid, huh, Pop? Beethoven was so angry he could hardly see straight. He jumped forward just as Floyd jumped back, drawing him farther and farther away from Missy and his children. Yeah, come on, dummy, he waved the puppy in Beethoven's face. Come and get Junior. Quickly, Regina darted in behind Beethoven and snapped the muzzle over Missy's face. Oh, a muzzle, really? In the movie, it was actually just a, uh, a chain. The puppies attacked, nipping at her heels and ankles, but she swatted them away. Floyd continued to jeer, drawing Beethoven farther from his family. You don't need this many kids. How about if I toss this one off the mountain, Daddy? I mean, you wouldn't miss him. Floyd dangled Mo out over the edge and was about to let him go when he heard a voice. All right. All right, here's five months later. Things had more or less gotten back to normal, but not one of the Newtons, canine or human, had forgotten the time they spent at Lake Mac Mac McDonald. And no one in Lake McDonald had forgotten the Newtons either. <laughs> Ted and Janie still wrote to each other, as did Seth and Rice. In fact, Rice had gotten a note from Seth just that day. She was reading part of the letter out loud to Alice and George. By the way, I'll be coming to town the weekend of December 22nd to go to the Inmates of Utopia concert. Never heard of them. Do you want to go with me? Tell your parents you'll be very safe. Please write soon. I miss you, Seth. Rice sighed. He misses me. Who are the Inmates of Utopia? asked Alice. George had the answer to that one. Some savage but socially conscious band that nobody's heard about yet. How did you know, asked Rice. Aren't they all? The doorbell rang and Rice ran to it. Standing in the doorway was Mr. Brillo. Missy at his side. Her tail wagging, Missy ran over to Beethoven, barking happily. She wanted to come see her kids, said Mr. Brillo. I had to bring her. Suddenly, Ted and Emily ran in from the living room. Our commercial is on. Our commercial is on. Rice grabbed Mr. Brillo by the arm, dragged him into the family room. Quick, come in. By the time George had been ready to make his TV commercial, he hadn't had enough money left to hire actors. So he used his own family. Ted and Emily were first up, throwing Newton air fresheners into a trash can. Something's reeking, they rapped. The family's freaking. Throwing a Newton. Then Rice appeared on the screen, a serious stench on the exercise bench. No, wait. A serious stench on the exercise bench? Throwing a Newton. Now it's George's turn. Something offensive? You're hypersensitive? The whole family was gathered to watch the commercial, although it was not the first time they had seen it. This thing had, has been on for months, George tore Mr. Brillo, and it's still bringing business. Suddenly, pup, the puppies got wind of the fact that Mr. Brillo was there. They came bounding into the room and pounced on the man. Although they were hardly puppies anymore, they were huge, almost as big as Missy and Beethoven. And where were the proud mother and father? They were outside, running across the lawn, gambling and frolicking in the grass. They were so happy it seemed as if music were playing in the, on the breeze. Serrating them as Missy and Beethoven ran into the sunset together forever. 
And that's the end of the book. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I had fun reading from the book and noting different scenes that weren't in the movie. That were probably just made up for the, to fill the book and everything. So that is the movie. I hope you enjoy the second half. And I'll be back in June with My Girl. And I'll be kind of doing the same thing. I do have the novelization to My Girl. So I will be reading from that as well as going on the, you know, uh, commenting on the movie. So have a great, well, if you think about Memorial Day is just about over. It's 928. So uh, back to school and back to work as they say, right? Ooh.